Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. To the editing note, I have Romeo calling back in uh, for us to wrap this up. Small disconnection. Hey guys. All right, there we go. You you hear me okay? Yeah, I got you. You got me? Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I know. You you said your phone died. I I thought we both uh, got kicked off the bridge. It was running about 5 hours. It doesn't usually run that far. Yeah, yeah, my phone died and uh, I just plugged it in and you know, I grabbed a bite bite to eat and plugged it in, so I'm good now. But no, my phone died. That's what happened before. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, what what we can do is then, because um, we we were just kind of <clears throat> talking, uh, instead of getting into a big thing, I can just uh, we can just record a uh, a wrap up and then uh, I'll, I'll probably end up putting this out over like a, a five session piece. What we usually do is like I put part one out and then the next week I'll do like the first part of Soldier Boy or whatever it is, and then I put out part two. It, it kind of helps. Um, it almost builds like a we, – we do it in seasons, and it helps build a, a storyline. Like just when the Romeo yeah. thing gets good, we switch to the to someone else, and then we come back. So, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. That's a good way we, to do it. So, yeah, man, I you know, I can go as long as you want, talk about whatever you want, because, you know, I start rambling about – Oh, you're good. I love it. The Bone, the bone fans are going to – they're, they're going to love it too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's totally up to you. I mean, I can, I can pick it up where we were. We can just film a, a closeout. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't well, want to push you too much. Out first. Let's do a closeout thing first, and then we'll pick it up and start talking about more stuff because there's so much important stuff. I mean, I didn't really get to talk about 
there's so much stuff. You can talk about aggravated style. You can talk talk about there's so much on graveyard shift that, uh, and there's so much bone stuff. I didn't get into the personality personality of each member. And, you yeah, know, I wanted to. What 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 um what I can do is uh, we can film the close or we'll film. We can record the closeout and then because uh, yeah. cause we actually lost we lost John about a half hour ago as well. Um, we can uh, we can do that and then I could set up a return date with you and and we can do it do it again. And in fact, what I can do is uh, next time I'll I'll send you. I don't always like to send people questions early because they're too rehearsed. But after five hours with you, I can I can tell that you you can handle that. Um, yeah. So, so I could uh, I could send you the the questions early as well, uh, just so we can make sure that we're we're hitting on on everything. Unfortunately, I can't send them to everybody early. So sometimes, if I send a guest the questions early, they just um, they're really rehearsed. They you don't get yeah. the uh, the the true you know answer. It and, doesn't uh, sound natural, right? Yeah. Um, but no, I I think we definitely need to do a a, a part two because you know shit we. We just did five hours, and it sounds like we're we're barely scratching the surface. So, yeah, because you know we didn't get into the actual record deal of what Relativity had with Ruthless uh, to keep Tamika out of you know the most thugs business and actually out of so like for instance Crazy Bone or Wishbone or or whoever anything most thug anything Relativity then then they're cleared on but if they if like somebody on suave house or somebody on death row or on bad boy then she would have to clear that you know uh tamika would not anymore but back in the day she would have to you know they were cleared for most uh they were cleared for uh for relativity Koch, sony anything else though you know like if they were getting on somebody else's as a feature then Tamika would get a piece of that. How, how did that get worked out for them to be able to? Because I mean, that's you know, you're, you're basically saying, hey, if, if it was a multi, if it was over here, then they were good. But if if somebody wanted them on their record, you know, again, we'll just use Death Row. If a Death Row artist wanted to feature them, then then it was going to come. Like, how how did it come down to? Hey, we need fucking multi to be our own our own situation. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think Bone, listen, you know, people think they're dumb, but they're not. They're a lot smarter than people think. And so when it came to, you know, 95, 96, you know, and they were, they should have been making Beatle money, but they wasn't because their contract was fucked up. So they started, you know, hey, let's make our own label. That way we can be features on our own artists and make money that way. So the deal was worked out between relativity, you know, business affairs and the attorneys and Tamika. And since they were starting their own label, she, part of the deal was, Hey, we'll give you a royalty on la 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 on our records, but you can't tell the guys what they can be on and what they can't be on. So, uh, you know, it's part of the, the legal part of, of uh, working out that deal. So they could do anything on Motug that they wanted to do, and they did, except for Busy. He wasn't around a lot, but that was only because Busy, you know, that was during the time that he lost his mind a little bit. But that was worked out with business affairs. Now, if it was somebody else, like any other artist, then Tamika would definitely be involved in signing releases before they were able to do something with somebody else. 
that was something we were we we briefly talked about earlier was you know busy with with the mo thugs uh you would just kind of mention talking about the trials and tribulation video Politic Hustlers, and, and we know that Busy Bone is in that, and that's like one of the only Busy Bone Mothug connections, you know, at least as a fan that we have during that right. time. And and it's crazy because you know we know Busy as the guy with the big Mothugs tattoo. Um, w- was there ever talk like, hey, Busy's finally going to do a Mothug? Like when the second album, I mean, was was Busy ever there? Or was it completely always? Nah, Busy doesn't fucking do this. No, he was. It wasn't, nah, he won't do it. Busy was always down to do anything, most of um, It was just that's when he was sort of going through things in life. And even with the Trials and Tribulations with Poetic Hustler, we didn't know he was going to show up. He just kind of showed up. And we were like, cool, <laughs> let's do the video, you know, that kind of thing. So if he was around, he would do it uh, because, of course, he's down – I mean, lazy. That's like lazy's little brother. Lazy treats busy like that's his little brother. So anything lazy does, busy is down for. But busy, you know, everybody has life things, and busy was going through some changes. He is the youngest one, so he had maybe it took him a little more time to mature than the other guys. So it wasn't that he didn't want to be down with Mothug. He always wanted to be down down with Mothug. In fact, like I said, after Ghetto Cowboy hit so big, he made me promise that I would never do another song with Crazy Bone unless he was involved. And I said, man, you could have been involved in all of them. You just wasn't around. So it didn't have anything to do with anything political, like Mothug or Seventh Sign or nothing like that. It's, he just wasn't around. It's when he was sort of off doing his own thing. And his And his own thing, by the way, was not a music thing. He was just on a personal thing, just taking a break and, you know, he shaved his head. I mean, he was going a little crazy, you know. He was he was being on. It happens to every rock star, man. It really does. Yeah, and and we know that that was the time period. I mean, we're talking. Mothug one was ninety six. Art of War was um, ninety seven, and then the Family Reunion was ninety eight. Uh, and and we know that he was very absent from you know from Bone Thugs at that time as well. Um, Art of War and and and, and everything like that. Um, when family reunion happened, so you know, like like I like I just established. I mean, we've we've got the first three original Bone albums. Uh, we got a Mo Thugs record. You're about to do the reunion album. Was there still a lot of unity in Mo Thugs at that point, or, or were you seeing a lot of the early signs of the of the follow? Because a lot of fans believe those first two are the best ones. Something changed once the the third Mo Thugs album was made. Well, you hit the nail besides on the Besides the cast. I mean, the whole fucking cast besides, like, Ken Dog teams for the third one. Right. Well, you, you nailed it. Uh, the unity. Because most Thug is really those two first records. And those two, I, not the, the, those two first records and, the, two, and the, the first ones we did in the studio. It all fell, sort of started falling out after that. So by the time it came to most Thugs 3, it was it really wasn't they don't even sound the same those records so if you listen to it they're not like the first two so yeah it was a fallout and i mean you know everybody sort of went their own ways and lazy bone was recruiting new mothug people and um the other mothug people didn't like it so much so you know i mean mothug is a huge family and they're family first 
absolutely family first. But if the first group of most uh, people on one and two, they're not treated good, then by the time three gets there, they're hated on, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah, you were seeing the beginnings of the fallout. Did uh, did you stop working with Mothugs, like, around that time, like, about the same time Crazy Bone was, was done working with, with the Mothugs team? I was still working with, but you got to remember, that was about the time that Tombstone got killed. So I was still there for Crazy and Lazy Bone, uh, but I sort of took a little hiatus because my dude got killed before our Graveyard Shift album could come out, so... I was mad at everybody, like I said, and I kind of moved away from it. Of course, if Lazy called me and said, hey, man, can you come do this? I would go do it. But, um, the, you know, by most of three, sort of the new most of guys, other than Ken Dog, who's my cat, you know, and like I said, I have a whole record on him just sitting there. Um, I wasn't so much interested in being involved in uh, most of three. I mean, I am. I'm on it on some shit, but you got to oh, remember, really? mentally, it was after Tombstone got killed, and I was very upset, and the the whole thing was kind of rubbing me not the right way, and so I started, you know, doing other projects and touring with other people, and you know, sort of getting back to other stuff. I was do, upset do you about think it. the the loss of Tombstone was kind of like? You know what? What kind of ended that? Because it seems like it's all you know connected. The more I talk to everybody, you, you hear the Tombstone piece a lot from the original cast, and it seems like the loss of Tombstone was kind of like, all right, this this is fucking, we're done with this. A breaking point, because yes, and, and it was because the most thugs that were around. I mean, the initial Mo Thugs, and I have to say, whenever I talk about Mo Thugs, I'm talking about the initial albums we did. Um, uh, you know, part one, part two, the initial most thugs. When yeah. Tombstone got killed, everybody was sort of whispering, you know what I mean? And like, oh, shit, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, everything changed right about that time. People started whispering, and they were like, <laughs> they weren't trying to be around. Because, you know, nobody knew. Because, you know what I mean? Nobody knew, like, for instance, if there's some out, somebody out there whacking, you know, Tombstone or whacking some Mo Thug people that's around Bone, people weren't, you know, they didn't want to be around them. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, who's next? It was almost like that. And, um, like, Archie Blaine. You might want to talk to him about that kind of stuff because, you know, there was some shit going on that, you know, in Cleveland, I think. And, you know, you, what do you want to do? You want to be an artist and you want to have somebody shoot you? So a lot of people backed up at around that point. But also Mothug Records right around that point, you know, because the Mothug office was in Cleveland, and um, it was a lot. Of, it was in disarray after Tombstone because a lot of people, you know, they say that who's really in charge is it crazy or is it lazy, and you know, it was a lot of just confusion going on right around that time. And Bone was big and doing their own huge tours, and Mothug was supposed to go out with them. Um, but I was actually touring with Bone, and I was pretty much the the musical force behind uh, Motug. So if I'm touring with them, you know, how are we going to get a thing together for the Motug? You know, it was all in disarray. And, and I have to and I have to say, you hit it on the nose. It was right around the time Tombstone got killed. People started asking different kind of questions. 
the first two Mothugs albums, those, those were so successful that I can literally remember uh, being a Bone fan and someone coming into the school that I was with with Mothugs, and I was like, what the fuck is this? And it was like, it, it, was, it was literally its own force. Even, even though it was so connected to Bone, it, it was still its own force. I mean, it really looked like it could have been its own thing. What do you think held back Mothugs 3 and, and obviously Mothugs 4? What do you think, you know, what, what changed so much that, they, that that couldn't be repeated? Because they've never been able to repeat that with an affiliate. You know, even their affiliates now are, are good. They're doing great. But nothing's been like those first two Mothug albums. I'd say it's easy. The difference is those first records were fun. All the Mothug were happy. We were all having fun. We were recording. Nobody was nobody cared about getting paid, to be honest with you, on the two Mothug 1 and 2 and all those first records we did. It wasn't about getting paid, man. Everybody was having fun uh, going in the studio, making their, their own product. It, it was fun, man. And after Tombstone, things weren't so much fun. I think things got serious, a little more serious. And I have to tell you, you know, I've made a lot of records with a lot of people. And that's one thing that could take the magic out of any record is when you start getting too serious. Because then it's not fun anymore. Then it's, then it's like, okay, let's try to calculate how to make a hit song. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to calculate that. I mean, nobody really knows how to do that except for Prince. And then you taught me a little bit, but um, when you start calculating how much you're going to make off of, you know, this album and how, how do you think it's going to sound, scan, and do, no, not fun anymore. Those two Mothug records, that shit was fun, and we didn't give a fuck if it sound scanned or not. It was just dope. It was yeah. fun, everybody. And you could tell in the raps, you could tell in the spirit of it, you can tell by how people are rapping, you could just tell that, man, they were having a good time making the shit. Everything after that, you could totally tell that they weren't having a, such a good time. They might was doing it because, man, we need another hit record so we could, you know, get some more money. And when you do that, you really miss out on the artistry and the fun. And, and it's sad. It's the business part of the music business. Music's great. The business part of it is not so great. So... When you're making a record, I mean, anybody, let's let's take anybody's record. The first two or three records on any superstar group, the the first couple records are very different sounding from three, four, five, six, seven. Because the first few they do, they're just happy to be there. And I'm talking from the Beatles to Michael Jackson. Everything after that is almost like a, a business move. Look at Michael Jackson. When he did Off the Wall and Beat It, there's something different about those first couple solo Michael Jackson records that are just so much fun. Like, yeah. Beat It, that whole Beat It record is just, I mean, you can't compare that to Zero, Zocho, nothing. So Michael Jackson, after that, hey, still, still a superstar, still a great singer, but they had a different feel to it. It was more like a business at that point. But, man, when you listen I, I to Beat It. I can relate so much to what you're saying right now. Um, you know, the, the the listeners know this a little bit, and, and you do as well, but, uh, you know, it's part of a fairly successful, you know, just 
local regional group and um you know it's a, it was the same situation the first two albums we put out were just magic i, I remember us being in the studio and we, we just didn't give a fuck we, we were making music to make music we loved it uh and then we we got so um you know i guess successful in our area that there was so much pressure when we did that third one and and it's everything that you're saying it's, it's mind-blowing to hear you say this about other people because i i feel like this about our group all the time but there was so much pressure to live, deliver this third album uh it's the one i told you that we we got a busy bone song we got a uh stevie stone song uh stevie stone from strange music tech nine's label and uh, yeah there was a lot of a lot of pressure to deliver this great album after these these first two and it, it took about three years to, to put this album out and and it was all work uh n- no one was having fun by the end of this because it was just like every song every move every show is a calculated business move um and and you lose that 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 shine that that uh that mm-hmm. new relationship shine when it becomes everything we do is business bro yep and that's exactly what happens and listen it happens with every group and it's man it's because you know what you're trying too hard to make another hit and have fun but when you're trying to have fun you're trying hard to have fun you will not have fun because it's too calculated and it happens with everybody man i've seen it happen to pretty much everybody i've played with and you know i've been in bands myself and it's Hard to recapture that first magic, that first, like, oh, this shit is fun. Oh, man, did you hear that part? Oh, dog. It's hard to recapture that, man. It's really hard. I, I always say that we're very fortunate to probably have Lazy Bone and, and, and Steve LaBelle because I, I've always felt like those guys have helped hold this group together at the, at the times where we're talking about right now, where it's not fun, and they were like, you know what? Fuck this thing. Um, we, we've seen Busy do it. We saw, you know, Crazy and Wish eventually said, fuck this for a minute. Uh, even Lazy eventually finally had had enough and walked away for a couple seconds. But that, that took such a boiling point for that guy. And I felt like Lazy Bone held it together no matter what. No matter who walked away or who was mad or fuck you, like Lazy Bone was like, yo, we're fucking Bone Thugs and Harmony, man. Like forever. Um, yep. We're, we're, we're very fortunate. Like- and my friend, that is Lazy Bone. He is, until he dies, I mean, Lazy is, <laughs> he's Bone Thugs, he's Mo Thugs. He's a, you know, he keeps the family together. He really does. Yeah. No, I, I, I think you can see that. Every time that you've talked about Lazy Bone's the leader, um, you know, he's the leader, I think that was always kind of clear, especially in the early days, it was like more than clear that, you know, Lazy was the leader. He was kind of the, the spokesman. You could tell Crazy and Busy uh, were not very comfortable uh, talking in interviews, especially very early on, whereas Lazy, it just seemed natural. Like, come on, motherfucker. We, we supposed to be here. Tell him we bone thugs in harmony from Cleveland. And uh, he, he's always had that presence about him. And uh, I can't remember the interview, Romeo, but there's there's one from a, a DVD they put out, and I, I actually think it's when Crazy Bone uh, was was doing the Baller Records thing, and he did the Gemini record, and, and they put out a little DVD, and Lazy Bone's just talking about being like a 15-year-old 
And he's like, I had to feed everybody. He's like, grown motherfuckers around me, I'm feeding everybody. And he's like, and ain't nobody care about you. Ain't nobody give a fuck about about nobody. And out of all the, the shit that I've watched with Bone, I, I got to tell you that that Lazy Bone saying that shit, it, it, it touched me the way he was saying it because I, I felt like this is a man that's given his, his life, his soul uh, to, to making a great group of legacy. And you can truly tell that that guy just wants to, you know, know that if he goes to the grave, that this thing will live past forever. Um, and I think that's such a admirable quality about Lazy Bone um, that, that he, he wants this thing to be forever, no, ma- no matter what, no matter the money, no matter the ruthless. He, he wants to know that if, if he goes away tomorrow, that, that Bone Thugs and Harmony lives for, yeah. for life. That's amazing. No doubt. That's lazy at the heart of the group, without a doubt. Not that the other ones don't care about it. Just lazy might care a little bit more because, yeah. Yeah. I mean, from you, the beginning, you, you, I, don't, I don't know. When I walked into that studio the first time, you could tell that he was kind of the boss. I don't know. I, You know, even when I talk to him these days, like I was on the phone with him last week, the week before that when we were talking about the Archie shit. I said, hey, boss, how's it going? That's what I call him. I don't call him Lay or Steve. I call him boss. When we were talking earlier, we, we were just talking about, you know, Ken Dog had an unreleased project. We know Poetic Hustlers made it to, to you know, they got pressed out and that CD came out. Too True, their album came out. Uh, Graveyard Shift, you eventually got that out. It sounded like you also said that Trey, the, the three, there's three girls in that singing group, uh, did, did they also work out an album? And I'll tell you the reason why I'm asking is that the first single off of family scriptures was them and crazy bone and i and i felt that that was a risky move out of all those songs and the only thing that i could think was wow uh these three are the ones that start the crossroads video and that that the three of them singing at the beginning of that video i think you know stuck with people for so long that i was like Thugs must have thought this is the, the money these three because people would sing that church scene with trey repeatedly yeah. for that video. That's right. Did, well, yeah, did they I, also have an album? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I produced it with Crazy. I think Crazy Bone was more of the producer. Well, when I say more of the producer, you know, he would tell me what direction, because I remember we were at Studio 56, and Studio 56 is where I did all of Graveyard Shift. Um, well, pretty much all of it. I, you know, for like nine months, we were working on it. And I remember, you know, there's, I don't know, five rooms in Studio 56. I remember going back and forth into the different rooms, and Trey was in rooms there, too, and um, working on their songs. So, yeah, there's a bunch of them. I don't know, you know, why they didn't come out or what happened to them or whatever, but, um, uh, yeah, we did a bunch of songs on them. Probably an album for us, for sure. When when you were with uh, Moltogs, because now we you know we know about the albums that came out, we've established there was a few unreleased solos. Were there any other big you know Moltog projects that that you thought were going to come out uh, that that didn't make it to to light in that you know ninety six to ninety eight period? Yeah, I thought Cat Cody would be huge. Um, like I said, he 
was on the level of a singer like Casey and Jojo from Jodeci. And I don't know what happened to, you know, we did a bunch of songs for him. And I think he, you know, I, I can't say for sure, but I think he had a stint, you know, he might have went to jail or something because we definitely were setting up for him to do a record. Well, we did a record. And, um, yeah, it never came out. But, yeah, it's still there. So let's see. So Busy Bone said the same. Busy said the same thing. Cat Cody's, you know, super, super talented, a lot of props. And, and to hear so many people say it, it's kind of amazing that we've had, as fans anyway, we've had such limited uh, Cat Cody, you know, features. I, I think family uh, family reunion, I think maybe one or two tracks. He's featured on the Art of War once. And then, of course, he's on fucking Heaven's Movie uh, with Busy Bone. Um, huge, yeah. huge song there. But but we've had very limited Cat Cody um, as as fans. You yeah, know, something, and, something happened between Cat and some of the people, or one of the people. I'm not exactly sure. If I was sure, I couldn't say. But something happened, and he was kind of uh, put pushed to the side, put up on the shelf, whatever you want to call it. Like I said, me and him. And Soldier Boy was living in a condo in uh, in South Beach, and we made a gang of songs. And uh, yeah, Cat Cody, like I said, his record was supposed to come out. And then, like I said, I you know I don't know with the internal work, but he ended up with a legal situation. He ended up going to jail. Wow. And it's too bad because yeah. I mean, like I said, he could sing with the best of them. I remember walking in the studio and hearing him sing. The first time I met him, he had just flown in from Cleveland. And I don't know what song we were doing. I think it was one of the Motug, you know, Family Scriptures or something. And, oh, I think it was the song Family Scripture. And, uh, man, he was pretty much, like, if you listen to the beginning song on Family Scripture, you know, he sort of starts that song out. Um, and he's so good. He is so good. Oh, he's it, so it's good amazing because he's unique. Going, this is going to be a superstar. And we did a bunch like him and Crazy Bone were super super tight. That's how come I got tight with him. We were super super tight. And then I don't know, man. I don't know what happened to. Uh, he, you know, he had a really but, unique sound, you know, in, in addition to because, I mean, a, a lot of unique, people can sing. He was a fucking you know. singer, a great singer. I mean, I still yeah, have I, some unreleased stuff on him. In fact, the outtakes on um, on a lot of the Mota 1 and 2 records that he was on, I still have them. And I listen to him sometimes wow. just to listen to him because he is so good. Oh, like I amazing. said, I don't know. Somebody said there was a falling out somewhere or the other. But then when I asked about him, somebody in Cleveland told me that he got picked up or something. Probably some bullshit, but, you know, that's how it was in the hood. I, uh, I, I definitely hope that, that we can uh, we find him and he's a future guest on here because I'm, I'm sure that guy has a lot to say. He, Like I said, such, such a unique sound. I've heard a lot of people that can sing, and, and it's definitely always, you know, uh, a great thing if you find a great singer, but the difference between being a great singer and being a great singer with that unique sound that's your own, like Cat Cody 
was his own fucking thing. Um, yeah, and, no and, doubt. And Bone yeah. does that a lot. You know, if if you think of the singers, uh, Busy had Big B around. Um, you know, Cat Cody, really unique, just like distinct, great singers around these guys. I, I will say that Bone uh, and and you know the guys around Bone like yourself, a knack for finding that that raw talent that wouldn't usually get discovered. Those those really rough diamonds. Well, you know, Crazy definitely, when we were on tour, he used to send people on the bus to audition for me all the time. I mean, Cat was already in, but then Cat Cody, you know, he's from Cleveland, so he came out with a lot of the Mozart guys. And, yeah, when he came in the studio, he had his own thing. I mean, almost when he opened his mouth and started singing, superstar immediately. And, and um, yeah, man, I got a gang of songs on him that I just listen to, just listen to. But like I said, he's cold-blooded so yeah i like i said i'm going to cleveland um you know first week in april for that festival and i'm definitely going to be looking him up and i mean i'm you know listen i'm gonna see soldier boy i'm gonna see all my people when i go there without a doubt so we know that you you said that you did a little bit of work on Thugs three but it was it was pretty much you were you were done at Thugs two now we know after Thugs two uh crazy bone of course had started to work Thug Mentality 99, Thug Mentality 99 got released. It's, it's a fucking double disc. It's a solo double disc, and at this point in the Bone game, we only have Heaven's Movie, which was very incomplete um, from a fan standpoint. Uh, and then we got Thug Mentality 99, which is overcomplete. It's, it's a fucking double disc. But the, did you feel like at that time, I, I mean, did it feel like Bone was kind of, and, and again, I want you to think 99 and not let you know now, did it feel like Bone Thugs and Harmony was coming to an end and these guys were all going to start to go solo at that time? No doubt. They were all doing solo records and not, not, <clears throat> sorry, not Lazy Bone. He was always about his most, uh, without a doubt. Uh, he's the daddy there. But the rest of them were sort of <clears throat> on their own thing. And, and um, you know, when Crazy did the uh, the 1999, the, Thug Mentality record it sort of set a precedent, I think, for everybody because he did so well on it. I mean, like I said, it sold like a Bone Thugs and Harmony record. It was ridiculous. Really great. Yeah, it, and it was a great record. Uh, double disc, and like you said, in fact, I'm looking at the plaque right here. Um, it, so yeah, it's so it, good for for a double disc Romeo that it, it's it's insane because you know people don't like to hear me say this, but I, I say it all the time. Uh, Tupac, All Eyes on Me, amazing double disc, but nobody could sit and say that there isn't a little bit of filler there. Uh, Biggie's, you know, Life After Death, amazing, a little bit of filler there. Wu-Tang, you know, Wu-Tang Forever, there's some filler in there. But when you a lot of fucking Crazy Bone, <laughs> Thug Mentality bone, 99. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Crazy Bone Killer, no filler. No filler on, on Crazy Bone, Thug Mentality. No filler because even though it's a double disc, Crazy Bone's work ethic is ridiculous. In order to get a double disc, he would have, pro- I think we ended up with 75 songs. Wow. And he picked the best ones out of that. Oh, his work ethic is ridiculous. We, I told you, I built a Pro Tools set up on our bus. So a lot of that was written on a bus, you know, so um, on the road. And 
remember when we got back, we started at Studio 56, then we ended up at the Back Room Studio, which ended up, you know, being my studio. Uh, we got kicked out of Studio 56, actually. And so, uh, yeah, that no filler. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. It, we also did it in a different kind of way. We, You know, he picked out his favorite, you know, the, the ones that he thought was great. And I created skits around all of them. If you listen to it, you hear all those skits? Those skits are major because it ties the record together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, Crazy Bone will come up with the idea of the skit. And, like, there's music in each skit underneath the skit happening. And that's just like on one of them. Um, uh, oh shit! Oh shit! Uh, right before, you know, there he is. Um, message for you, Mr. Brown. Da, da, da. But if you look yes. before that, there's jazz underneath it. That's me just playing some major fucking jazz shit because it sounds like he's in a in a restaurant, nice high class restaurant club. So these were skits that weren't thrown together. These are skits that we thought out, and we thought them out as to make them little movies. That's what these skits are. They're little fucking movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you, you uh, can, yeah, it's uh, just carefully done, carefully, very carefully done. It's so – it's odd to me. I, I actually believe that um, – you know, I always say that Thug Mentality 99 was, was the end of, of the Bone era – the, the way we know it, because that that was the last record that I felt was really handled with those type of gloves. Uh, when you when you listen to the first three Bone albums, uh, fuck. Even when you listen to the the first two Mo Thugs albums, they're handled differently. And yep. the, the skits, um, yep. all all that shit matters. Uh, one of the things that I always bring up to people, and and we kind of talked about it earlier, was Bone on their first three records, they all had those introductions, you know, the, the, the little easy Ouija voice. I think DJ Unique did it on the later records. Um, yep. They had tons of, of, of those skits, and it set the tone. I can tell you, Romeo, that in 97, I, I was so excited for Art of War to come out. And, and where I live in Maine, and, and you're familiar with, you know, just Maine and it's spread out, I had to drive uh, well over an hour to a, a city called Portland to, to purchase this. I, I drove the whole way there. I popped this motherfucker in, the, in, my, in my Walkman. And the first moment you hear that skit drop in, and it builds it. It builds the art of war tone. You are not listening to, to audio at that point. You feel like you're there. You feel like you're part of it. Thug Mentality 99 did the same fucking thing. And it was the last time. I've never heard it done like that by Bone since, period, at all, on well, any record. Yeah, it was kind of the end of an era, bro. It's, uh, a lot of those skits have a lot to do with Crazy Bone. Art of War, it, it, uh, you know, we did an interview uh, with, with DJ Unique uh, for Sons of St. Clair. And he said that we needed to do a record. And all the guys were sort of spread out all over the place. So he called Crazy Bone. Jamaica called him saying, hey, I need a record for, for Rufus to put out. You need call Crazy Bone. So Art of War, if you listen closely to it, it's almost really like a Thug Mentality 1999 Crazy Bone record. 
uh, it's Crazy Bone had a lot to do with Art of War. Crazy Bone yeah. and, and Unique, you know, because, you know, I mean, and yeah, after Thug Mentality and Art of War, and that, yeah, that was kind of the end of an era. Everything else after that, starting in 2000, 2001, those 2000s, I don't know. Not as good, just not handled as well. Because things nope. got broken things got broken up. Right after Thug Mentality, Crazy Bones record, things got real different and broken up. People went in different directions. Um It felt like they didn't record together the same way. It felt like uh the the songs were very formatted, like, yo, crazy, you drop a chorus, you know, hey, Romeo, make sure there's fucking, you know, four verses in here everybody's going to go fill in their shit. Whereas when you listen to those other records, it, it wasn't always like that. You know, you, you might no, have them they were sharing the chorus. No, or... they, no, they were working together. And it's crazy that you say that because when you watch Sons of St. Clair, DJ Unique says the exact same thing. I mean, almost verbatim. Because that's what happened. He started, or we started recording stuff. Crazy Bone would, like, lay stuff down. A couple of days later, some other dude might fly in and catch it 16. You know, and then a week later, somebody else might fly in and catch 16. And so, yeah, that's what started happening. They weren't handled the same. They started getting really individual, that sort of thing. And, that's, and you know, it happens. It happens to the Beatles. It happens to every group. They start individually yeah. feeling like stars because they all are stars. I mean, nobody talks a lot about Wish they talk or Flash. I mean, talk about Lazy, Crazy, and Busy all the time. But in, in really, after Wish hit uh, a Miss My Uncle Charles, he was a superstar off of that lick. Because I can tell yeah. you, in the, concerts, in the concerts that I did with them, I would stop the music because I'm the music director. I would stop the music in the entire stadium with twenty or 30,000 people would say, I miss my Uncle Charles. So that made Wishbone a instant superstar, but it never went to his head at all, which was always, I mean, to this day, he's just the coolest motherfucker. But all of them were superstars at that point. You know, and then Flesh went to jail, so that has a lot to do with a lot. In fact, I tell that story on Sons of St. Clair. When he went to jail, it was almost like they all kind of went different ways. It was, It was really the departure of a lot of things at the end of that era. When, when, when you hear a record like, because if we exclude, you know, these solos, these multi-albums, then we know it was Art of War, and then we jumped up to Resurrection. And I'll tell you from a fan perspective, the excitement for Resurrection was fucking unbelievable because, you know, we thought our group was over. We thought the phone was fucking done by that point uh they're they're doing solos like you said um were were you around you must have been you did the can't give it up remix right the rock one mm-hmm. so yeah tell me what resurrection is like it, it almost feels like when we were talking about this is when it all became business like that was the first record where it was like this is all fucking business and i'm not i don't give a fuck uh, I'm not enjoying it the way that I was. It's a great record. I love it. I love the song Can't Give It Up. But it feels like that was the first one where it was like, hey, motherfuckers, we need to go in here and, and, and knock some music out. Yep. 
That's exactly right. And like I said, DJ Unique said it the same exact way. It was like pulling teeth. Uh, I mean, you know, it's a good record because they're talented people and everybody knows how to make a record. So, but man, it was like they weren't on the same page at all. And, you know, listen, Crazy, I think it was doing Thug Line. You know, I mean, listen, yeah. they were off. He, he was they always boring, Thug mentality. He, he, you know, that, that record, people always talk about the fact that uh, 16 tracks, 15 if you don't count the. Um, the busy going solo at the end and crazy's only on nine of them 10 once he added a verse to, to change the world which you know was was a hit on its own um but that that i mean that was a busy lazy flesh album in, in a big way how much did that hurt it not having we, we talked about lazy's like the the, the figurehead but crazy's kind of like the studio leader how much did that hurt that record not having crazy there to to be as hands-on as like he was with art of war a lot i mean you know listen it, it that question answers its own self that's the answer the answer is ask the fans that record is not even close to what the art of war is so because crazy you know he had his hit record that that we were dealing with and touring on so what do you think he was thinking about? Yeah, he was thinking about thug mentality. And so, and did he did he want to stay doing that? I mean, the thug mentality piece, or, or well, the, no, you know. no. The thing is, you don't you don't necessarily want to stay doing it, but you will go to concerts and support your record as long as people can sell tickets. So again, it comes back to the business side of things. If if Thug Mentality in 1999 is still cracking, and it cracked for many years, uh, you know, we toured for many years off of that. If it's still cracking, then what's going to give you the incentive to go stop by the studio and drop in, you know, 12, 16 bars? It's uh, it's hard. It really is hard. You know, one day you're on stage, you know, doing Thug Mentality, no songs. Next day, you have to get on a plane and go back to L.A. to get on a record. It's a whole different vibe. You know, live, stage live is so different from being in the studio. And yeah. They, yeah, I, they all kind of broke up. They well, didn't break up, but they all went their own way at that point, you know. We were out uh, supporting that record. I think, it was a great record, you know. Yeah, I mean, who? I, I honestly, that was one of those times where I was like, Crazy Bone could uh, could just set off and 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 never come back if if he chose to right now. Um, no doubt. But, that but the cool so thing good. about it is, and check this out, he could have. The cool thing about it is, but he didn't. He went back back for his boys, and that yeah. has to tell you something about him. Because I don't know when Paul McCartney, when John Lennon and Paul McCartney set off from the Beatles, they never went back ever. The Beatles never got back together again. After Paul McCartney and John Lennon started doing solo records. And I have to tell you, I'm obviously a Beatles fan because I talk a lot about him. Paul McCartney is my favorite Beatle. He, in fact, is my favorite writer ever of all time. So when he started doing his solo records, I thought to myself, fuck the Beatles. Because Paul McCartney was my cat. So a lot of people, what you do is you split your audience is what you do. Mm -hmm. Just like with the Beatles. People started, people love John Lennon. 
I wasn't a John Lennon dude, but there are so many John Lennon dudes. I was a Paul McCartney cat, so I was like, fuck the Beatles, fuck John Lennon. I'm with Paul McCartney. Well, Bone Thugs and Harmony, Crazy Bone went and did his thing. Lazy was doing something. Busy was doing something. Well, some people, a lot of people was like, well, fuck them. I just want to be with Crazy. I just want to go to his concert. So you split your fan base is what you do. And Crazy Bone did go back, though. Paul McCartney did not go back. Neither did John Lennon. Well, John Lennon got killed, but the Beatles was not ever getting back together again. And it's written everywhere. Because Paul McCartney wasn't having it. And everybody, a lot of people like John Lennon, but to me, the best musician, singer, and writer is Paul McCartney. And he started a band called Paul McCartney and the Wings with his wife. Yeah. Lyndon McCartney, and it was a wrap okay. for the Beatles. It was over. Who the fuck was going to do it? Uh, Ringo? Uh, no, I don't think so. George Harrison? Nope. He even did yeah. a solo record. So I mean, you know, crazy th- that would be crazy the... could have left and kept going. In fact, there was a plan to do a second sort of Crazy Bone solo record like like um, uh, Thug Mentality from 1999. There was in plans to do another one. Crazy Bone decided to go back with his group. Because, you know, Crazy Bone could be a solo fucking star. You know that, right? Oh, of course. I mean, he... Mm-hmm. And, and, and I've thought that more than once. You, you know, we talked, um, I, I think in private, but I said, you know, back to when they did Strength and Loyalty, I, I felt like he had a another chance then. Uh, so many years later, I was like, oh, shit, Crazy Bone's about to be the breakout star. But once again, even at that time, even when, even he, when he was getting on big, he was on big solo records. They put him on that Tupac remix, that Biggie remix. And instead of having it billed as Crazy Bone, he, he specifically made them bill it as Bone Thugs and Harmony, even though he was the only one on the song, to make sure that life was in that brand. That's huge. Right. That's selfless. He always did it, and he still does it. I mean, Crazy Bone, even today, Crazy Bone could go solo anytime he wants. You know, Crazy Bone, for instance, we were talking about last year, we were talking about doing an R&B, Crazy Bone R&B record, and calling all the R&B singers, you know, like all of Beyonce, everybody, right? We could have done that. What would have happened? It would have been another thug mentality. It would have been a Crazy Bone R&B record that would have sold a gazillion fucking copies. Uh, yeah, Crazy can go solo whenever he wants, but he loves having his dudes around him. He really does. We we were talking earlier, um, you know, just about the fact that you can see that Busy is very absent, 96, 97. Um, He's out 98. <laughs> yeah, we, we see him in and out. But 98, and, and Art of War, he's not in any of the videos. 98, then he drops Heaven's Movie as solo. Is that something that you all saw coming, or was that just out of nowhere, like, hey, Busy needs some time off, and now he's doing a fucking solo record? Like, how did that come about? Well, he, uh, you don't plan with Busy Bone. You just hope for the best. Because Busy Bone is Busy Bone. He is a, a, he, he's the rock star. I mean, when we say rock star in the band, he, he's the rock star in the band. On stage... He runs from side to side. I mean, you've seen him mm-hmm. live. Busy Bone is that mm-hmm. cat. So he is a rock star. So you can't second-guess rock stars. Busy Bone, uh, we were talking about Heaven's movie when we were doing Poetic Hustler. You know, we were talking about when we were doing a Motox record. So he is putting it together early on. 
and then he dropped it, you know, later. But Busy, you can't plan with him. And that's just the thing you have to know about Busy. You cannot plan with him because he is a rock star, and he has a rock star mentality. And a guy with a rock star mentality, because I've been around a lot of them, you can't plan for shit. Because as soon as you plan everything out and they don't show up <laughs> or they don't call back, then what happens to your plan kind of goes to shit. So we knew that he was going to be doing Heaven's Movie because he started doing it early on when we were doing most dog records. Um, he did it. And so even even today, Busy Bone is kind of, well, he's always the rock star, right? Even today, you know, I think, I don't know, they went to Brazil a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, Busy didn't go. He didn't go. Crazy, crazy didn't go either. Uh, busy, busy did a big live stream about it, and 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 he wouldn't come right out and say it, but he very much alluded to the fact and said that uh, that he gets paid correctly when they do shows in the states, but that nobody wants to to pay him uh, the right way and tell him the guarantees, and that he's just not willing to gamble out of state like that or out of the country. No, and, and he said that he was closer no. than any of the Bone members to be able to hit these Brazil dates. No. Bottom line is this. He didn't have a first-class ticket, so he said, fuck you, I ain't going. That's exactly what happened, because I was standing next to the guy who booked it when the phone call came in, Jamie. So, period. And he he's a rock star. That's the rock star mentality. Mm-hmm. If you don't pay I, me I, right, if you don't pay me right and give me my first class and every that, that, then I ain't going. And he can. I mean, listen, he can do that. Crazy Bone can do it too. You know, you got to remember out of all of them, which one of them has the most money? And I can't answer this question, you know, because I can't talk about their business that much. Probably the one that does all the hooks, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's who, the assumption. You know, we. I think everybody assumes either or crazy or busy have the most money in in that group. Okay, so the person that does all the hooks is who's crazy, right? Yeah, of course. So he doesn't need to tour as much as the rest of them because he's kind of set financially. So if he says, "Hey, I don't want to do this tour," guess what? He doesn't have to do it. A lot of them tour for necessity. I mean, you know. At, at this on, point. <clears throat> Do you feel? I mean, is 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 Bone still together, still touring out out of out of the the love for this Bone Thugs thing, or is is this a necessity because they all got hurt in the nineties? Well, they love each other without a doubt. Because I really don't think Crazy needs to tour if he doesn't want to. Um, you know, Crazy is on not only all Bone you know Bone hooks, all the great ones. He's on a lot of people, other people's hooks. And somebody sampled his, um, uh, I forgot what verse, not verse, but it was one of his things. Somebody sampled and they used it a bunch about five, six years ago. So crazy is paid majorly. So he don't have to tour if you don't want to. He tours because he likes to tour with his dudes. We just saw, we we were talking about the fact that Busy wasn't in Brazil. Uh, we, we do see him now uh, with the group. It looks like, it looks like that's still that 
on again, off again thing. And I, I was watching an interview with Busy Bone from, this is years ago. I think this is when Crazy and Wish decided to actually step away from, from the group temporarily. And in it, Busy Bone said, I'm now solo and I'm going to be solo forever, but I'll always come back when they need me to come back. Yes. Uh, is that the mentality still? I mean, has, yes. has that never changed from that time? Absolutely, 100%. He feels like he is a rock star, and he is, and he's so oh. he goes He goes when he wants to go. Same thing with Crazy Bone, to be honest with you. Crazy Bone doesn't have to do shit, so he goes when he wants to. I, I will say on stage, um, there there is none like Busy Bone. He's so captivating to watch. The, the first time I got to witness the guy live, uh, it, it was impressive to see all the other guys, but but Busy was special. He was uh, throwing down Red Bulls and, and <laughs> running from left to right. And, and they had a whole band. I mean, he was up on the fucking drums. And, I mean, he was uh, – it, it was it's amazing. being a rock star, brother. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's different, you know, for that guy. And it, it's so actually odd to me because it looks like right now that uh, I see Busy recording a lot of stuff. He, he's still doing the tours. We know that he's heavily pushing out Bloodline Harmony right now. Um, do, do you think this is a full? Yeah. Is this a full torch path? I mean, is this to let Busy finally have some, some time away, or is this just to put his sons on and, and he's going to Mick Jagger and Busy Bone for for the fucking rest of his life? I think I think a little bit of both. Uh, when we started doing the movie, the documentary, uh, he wanted to talk more about his sons than anything else, and it almost kind of ruined the documentary. It almost kind of ruined stuff because I, you know, I had to like actually I was sitting in my Range Rover talking to him, and I was like, "Dude, you can't treat these guys like that. These are real filmmakers, and they're not doing or talking about your sons. They're talking about you and your legacy, and that's what this has to be about." I just sent you the the tour schedule. Yeah, I, I saw that. I I had actually seen this. Um, yeah, it's a hell of a tour. And it just keeps you know, going, man. These cats just keep going. He's fucking. I mean, I'm, I'm never. I'm. <laughs> I'm never surprised. They're, they they got to be the most uh, touring act of all time. And again, I hate to keep comparing them to Wu Tang, but that's got to be the most comparable. And, no, not, not actually, not Wu Tang. They're not as because Wu Tang toured out of necessity because there's so many of them. They always had to go and get that on the road money. But it was never all nine or ten of them, you know. It was three or five or something like that. And so you can't really compare the two. Bone is absolutely the most touring rap group ever. And it actually uh, – somebody made a statement online to that. I And, and he said something like, uh, I challenge you to show me somebody who tours more. And nobody even barked back. Nobody clapped back at all. Because it's yeah. true. Those dudes tour. I mean, you know what I mean? Even if it's three of them and the DJ, you know, uh, position, and or two of them in position, and, you know, or all five, them dudes go out. And no matter how many of them show up, everybody keeps paying to see them. Yeah. Because, you it's... know, what they did was, was they transitioned uh, from – because you, you, you figure Bone Thugs in 90s, right, all the hits. So you, you figure from people from your age, right, my age and lower, 
now they've hit the young market too. So it's not just people over 30 going to see Bone Thugs and Harmony. Everybody's going to see them. So they have yeah. done something that not a lot of groups can do. Uh, yeah, again, it, it goes yeah. back to when we were talking about, like, I, I always say, and, and I'm not a fan of, you know, insane clown posse music, but I'm a huge fan of the, the business model and the the following they've built because those guys are, you know, th- those two guys are are considerably older than a lot of their fans. They, they yep. made fans. Those fans yep. had kids. Those fans' kids are now fucking fans. Uh, it's yeah. fans over generations, and Bones the same fucking way. They have I'm I'm 34. They got 34. They got 40 year old fans. They have 16 year old fans. Yep, that's right. You're so right, Very and that's so hard to do. And they have done it. So at this juncture, they can tour as long as they can keep stuff in their pockets. They could tour tour as long as they want because they crossed over from you know your generation, my generation, and the, 16 year olds so yeah I mean you know it's it's kind of crazy but not even the Beatles did that Elvis mm-hmm. did it not a lot of people could do it man it's really hard for because even when the Beatles you know in the heist you know they had all the teenagers but when they started doing like Dodger Stadium and big stuff later on because I went to that yeah it was all old people in the audience and no, wasn't no young kids going to see the Beatles and so I'm just saying man it's they have done something that not a lot of groups can actually do. They have a multiple audience. They're incredible. I mean, that, and that's the whole reason I, I do this podcast. It's, you know, I, it's, it's so odd. People ask all the time when I'm going to have members of, of Bowen on. And I'm like, I, I honestly don't know because there's so many people around it that are, that are worth talking to um, that, that I could go years without, without ever talking to any of the five members of Bowen. And uh, and hear so much because it's it's unique in the fact that unlike Wu Tang, I would say they have created individual legacies for for everyone. Even even you know when you look at someone that you could say in the grand scheme isn't a success, you know they're more success just in the bone world. They have legacies. The ex Multugs, they still have legacies. Those those guys could eat right now. There's fans on the edge of their seat waiting for for any of those guys to put out records. And and that's yep. because of this this bone thing that was built. Um, once exactly once you're in right. that club, you're never out. That's exactly right. And like you said, once you're in, you're never out. I mean, I have uh, Rob keep keep asking me when I'm gonna make a solo record so they can put it out on Harmony House, and I'm just not thinking about it because I don't give a fuck. But there are people that want to hear Bone stuff, and yeah, man. Oh, people they would love to hear your record. If, if you successfully done something. Yeah, if you if you did a record, especially if you did it under one of the Bone things, I mean, fans fans would go crazy. They they love to hear that shit. Um, I want I wanted to ask. New waves, the new Crazy and Busy album. You know, fans waited to hear a crazy and busy album, I would say, since probably, who knows, 94, 95, at least 95. Um, mm-hmm. The album yep. is obviously way fucking different than anything we've ever heard from Bone. I I personally love it. It's got a lot of mixed reviews from Bone. Let me, uh, let, me, let, me say this. let me say this before you go any further. It's way different from anything you'll hear from Bone. That's why it did not sell that great. 
I like it. I, uh, but I think the album is underrated. Anything. Well, it's very different from anything you'll hear from Bone Thugs and Harmony. Very sonically, very different. It's just so different. And not that that's a bad thing. Some people have to grow up and do something new. And I get that. But they left their old audience behind when they did it. And it's terrible because they sound scanned at 15,000, which is not good for a Bone record. I wish it wouldn't have been called Bone Thugs. You know, I think it would have been more acceptable to, to fans in general, if it just wouldn't have been called any, you know, anything bone with the name being, you know, new waves. I, I almost would have been fine if, if they just called the, the group that, because once, once you stamp bone, well, it, it, on it, it, let me, let me, let me jump in. Is the whole thing is wrong. Um, it was, it was set up and marketed completely wrong. And that's Steve Lobel. It was called bone thugs because Steve Lobel wanted to call it bone thugs because he wanted to still keep the Bone Thugs in harmony, and I understand why. Don't don't get me wrong. I understand why it was called Bone Thugs. He wanted yeah, to big keep the Bone brand. Thugs in harmony. Yeah, the Bone Thugs, except it didn't have Bone Thugs in harmony sound. They should have had DJ Unique on some fucking tracks on it. I think he did do a track, but it was Scott Storage. It was a lot of cats that you know that are really great and great studio people, but it was not a Bone Thugs in harmony record and. Uh, and you can tell because they lost a lot of fans with that one. Uh, yeah, you're right. It shouldn't be called Bone Thugs. You know, I don't even like the thing New Wave because the whole thing a New Wave. Bone Thugs fans are like, fuck a New Wave. I want to hear Bone Thugs in Harmony, you know. So it, you I know, just think it was done wrong, marketing. But, you know, listen, it wasn't my record. So If, if anybody else would have done that song, Bottle Service, um, Fuck, it, it, we, Super Socko. If Super Socko would have made the song Bottle Service, or if anybody, Super Socko would have made Bottle Service, it would have been a mega smash fucking hit. That, that song is so, like, the first time I heard that, let me, let me tell you the emotions I went through, Romeo. At first, pure excitement and joy, because I thought the song was so good, followed by, fuck, this is crazy bone, busy bone, and this is never ever going to work, which is unfortunate because I think that song is like, it, it, not the Bone, if you compare it to Bone songs, it's, it's nowhere close to a top 10 song. But it, if you take the Bone out of it and you just look at that song itself, that is certifiably so much larger of a hit than it was. Did being Bone Thugs completely hold that back? I mean, it must have. Say it, I'm sorry, say it again. I was, I, I was actually I, reading te- a text. I was just saying, you know, the, the fact that they were, because that, that song is a hit. I mean, it's a hit. It's a bigger hit than than what it did. Was the fact that it was Bone Thugs? I mean, did it hold it back? Because when you call it Bone Thugs, that, that opens it up to only the current fans. No new fan, they're going to see the word Bone Thugs and go bottle service and go, I'm not going to listen to that shit. It's just another Bone song. And then when you're a Bone fan, you hear it and you're like, this isn't fucking Bone. So it put it in a stale place. Um, if, if that song was anybody else, I that, that's a number one smash. Uh, do, do you feel that album's over? Because originally they said they were going to do videos for all the fucking songs, and then it kind of well, they have a budget. Like it... They uh, they actually have a budget to you know I talked to Steve about it, <laughs> Lil Bell. They actually have a budget to do every song. The only thing that can uh, you know light a match under that record 
would be Sons of Sinclair. That's the only thing. Otherwise, yeah, that record's done. You know, if you think about it, any record, any I mean, any fucking record, anybody, if it's been a few months and it sort of stalls, it's a wrap, especially by today's market. Today's market is give it to me right now. And, yeah. and I mean, millennials will let me hear it. And after they hear it, they're like, all right, see ya. So you have to think about the attitude of millennials and how fast they want everything. Millennials want it right now. And if you don't give it to them right now, it's like, fuck you. And so, yeah, by that standard, that record's done. The only way it can kick back anything is Sons of St. Clair being a, a documentary film. If, you know, that does well, then people might order it or something like that. Because, you know, there's a lot of music from New Ways and Sons of St. Clair. And they talk about it a lot. And they're in the studio actually recording it and that kind of stuff. Because that's when we're filming it. So that might give it some second life. But other than that, yeah, it's done. And it was done wrong. It was done wrong. There's it's not really bone thugs in harmony. <laughs> Are we gonna see um in your opinion anyway? I, I don't expect you to, to drop anything official on the behalf of the guys, but are we gonna see a new Bone Thugs and Harmony album? Uh a, a lot of people say we we might have one more. Some people say we're we're not gonna see another one. Some people think we're gonna see fucking Bone Thugs records until the day we all die. I think yeah, until the day you die. I think you know, those dudes all love each other and at the end of the day, and I've seen them do this. Lazy Bone could be doing like a solo record. And I've been with him. Shit like this. And he will call Cray. Hey Cray, come get on this shit. Just like New Ways. They called each other and they went to do it. Of course New Ways is a bad example because that's not a real Bone Thugs and Harmony type of record. You're going to hear Lazy Bone and Wish. People like that do a real Bone Thugs and Harmony. Sometimes the more, uh, and this is very important, sometimes the more talented you are, the more it hurts you. Because Busy is a rock star. He's talented. He's got a voice. And we know, you know what I think about Crazy Bone, super duper talented. But just because you're talented doesn't mean you have to show everybody how great you are. And I think New Waves is just that. It's like a show off. Listen, this is how great I am. This is how fast I can rap. This is how much I could sing for, you know, Busy Bone and for Crazy Bone. And they are great on the New Age record. You heard it. It's a great fucking record. But it is not a Bone Thugs and Harmony record. And it's yeah. not a Bone Thugs record. Uh-uh. Whatever you want to call yeah. it, it's not them. So It, it is, unfortunately, the, the hold back. Because if those same songs were put out by, you know, somebody else that wasn't Bone Thugs, if, if, those, if somebody could create those same songs without being Bone Thugs, they, they would probably be the, you know, one of the, the top acts right now. But it went completely under the radar. Um, I, I do hope that we we see another Bone Thugs and Harmony record soon. Uh, hopefully, Busy Bones involved as well. Hopefully, we have Romeo involved. I, I I also think that that is a big thing that fans are often upset about is that you don't see. We we all want to hear that original sound. You hear fans say all the time, "Do some fucking songs like Eternal," which Hey, these guys aren't in their twenties anymore. I don't expect them to fucking do that. Um, but they can, but, you know. You but, know but what? You can't even start to be there without without you guys, me well, and, it, and, and well, you. And I have to tell you, and I have to tell you, it's DJ unique. You know, before we can talk about me, or before we can talk about Bobby Jones or anybody, 
we just talk about DJ Unique because DJ Unique created the Bone Thugs and Harmony sound with Bone Thugs yeah. and Harmony. So if for they're sure. going to do a Bone Thugs, like say for instance, I was the head of the label and I was financing the next Bone Thugs and Harmony record, which I could probably do if I wanted to. Um, not so, you know, might not want to, but I would hire Unique first and I'd sit down with him and say, hey man, let's put together a record. An old school uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony DJ Unique record. I'll come in and play on it just like I always, I'll do anything you want, but I need it to be DJ Unique. Without that, forget it. Because Bone Thugs and Harmony individually, they are fantastic. They are great. Crazy Bone is a good producer in his own right. So am I. So is Lazy. So is Busy. So is Flesh. So is Wish. But there's one guy that I think holds it all together, and that's DJ Unique. And uh, listen, we interviewed him for our movie, and he's a fantastic guy. Just a great, always has been a great guy. I mean, great. You know, early on, 90s, they said there was beef between the Unique and I because I was kind of the producer for all the Mo Thugs, and he was the producer for Bone Thugs, and and, you know, it's like we got in each other's way. Never, never. I have nothing but so much respect for that guy. If he called me right now and said, Rome, come down to Compton and come to my studio and play on something. I don't care what time it is. I'll grab my guitar case, a keyboard, a fucking bongo, like I said, a, a violin. And, I, hey, hey, man, I'm on my way. I'll be there. And that's what it is. If I call Unique and I say, hey, man, can you lay down some beats and put down this new record or whatever, he would do it. And that's the same with Bobby Jones, and that's the same with Archie. All the producers that are around this whole thing, we all love each other, man, because we're all part of something. And I have to say that the producers that came after Unique, myself, Bobby, Archie, I mean, there's a lot of them. I'm not naming all of them because I can't think of all. I can't think of everybody, but you got to remember they came after Unique. So he kind of is, you know, the head honcho when it comes to producing Bone Thugs and Harmony. Without that sound, which is sort of an eerie, I mean, because he's always had those low keyboards, those, you know, um, man, it's hard to describe, but he's always had that sinister sound, you know, the sinister sound that Bone has. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that didn't come from Bone. (laughs) That came from Unique. Okay, so you got to remember the person that's touching the keyboards and the ter- the person that's touching the samples and the drum sounds and the, the different instruments, they make the sound that the group then puts their vocals on. So if you listen to DJ Unique sounds and songs, that is a part of carving out the Bone Thugs and Harmony sound. Now, Bone Thugs, they have their own sound when it comes to their vocals. Like I said, they made a non-believer, which is me. I didn't want nothing to do with rap. They made me into a believer, and I love it because of them. Now, I don't love all rap. There's garbage out there, but I love good rap, and it's because of Crazy Bone and Busy Bone and Lazy Bone and Flesh and Bone and Wishbone. Those guys made me a believer. But if I'm going to do a Bone Thugs and Harmony record for the fans or a record that I think will sell big, <clears throat> the first phone call I'm going to make as a record company executive or musician or whatever would be to DJ Unique. Okay, let's sit down and map this out. That's what I would do. And that is giving it up. That's taking it away from me. 
but I'm, I'm that guy. I've always been that guy. If I can't make it the best it can be, let me call the guy who can. So I call Unique first. Yeah, he's going to call me to play instruments and to do this and that. And he, yeah, he's going to call me, but I'm going to call him first. Cause how how did you feel about the the World's Enemy Unified album then? Because that, that was there was a lot of DJ Unique on there. Uh, first first record that they had with, you know, since Flesh got out. A lot of DJ Unique on there, but it's considerably different than, than Bone albums. It's almost like... Yeah, it's there's a lot of R&B, you know, it, it, it's almost like if Unique was to do a New Waves album. It's almost New Waves, but Unique style. Um, yeah. Because it's definitely but, not you know, eternal. You know, that's uh, that's pretty good. I mean, for you, because that, that shows me what kind of ear you have. You You described it perfectly. That's exactly what it is. A lot of it has to do with the R&B influence that Crazy Bone has. Because, you know, it's no... You know, big revelation that Crazy Bone's biggest influence is not from rap. It's from R&B. Yeah. And so if you were to have Crazy Bone produce a record, that's what it might sound like. Because at one particular juncture, Crazy Bone is kind of the, the boss in the studio. And let's just say that if Crazy Bone says, hey, Unique, this is what I want it to sound like. And when that happens, yeah, you're going to come out with an R&B sounding record. Lock DJ Unique up and have him do 15 tracks like he thought they should be done. Lock him up. You know, Don't even let those dudes around him. Lock him up. And then call the five bone members and say, all right, show up at the studio. Here's your money, but this is how much we got. You, we're about to make a record. Then it might sound like a East 1999 record. Does the change come from from literally them gaining a lot of creative control that maybe they didn't have at the beginning? It seems like during the first two records, it was like, yo, these are y'all beats. This is your studio time. Go make some fucking songs. Whereas, you know, obviously later on, it was like, we're going to do the fucking songs the way we want to do the fucking songs. Yep. Well, you answered it. Creative control. Bone Thugs and Harmony creative control is most of uh, uh, right, because there was no unique on most uh and you know, I asked him to do some stuff, and he did a couple things here and there, but you know most thug is me and and you know the my boss was crazy bone and lazy bone, so that is their sort of creative control, most thug those most thug one and two, and all those first most thugs records, except graveyard ship graveyard ship is pretty much me and t rock um the bone members. They, you know, Crazy, I think, only got on two or three songs. Lazy got on two or three maybe, but they did what I kind of asked them to do because it was a, we were doing a different thing. But so uh, creatively, Bone Thugs and Harmony, uh, their creative thing, well, Lazy and Crazy, more Lazy, is Mo Thug. That's his, you know, his baby. And he let us do, as producers, what I did, what Archie did, what Bobby did. He let us do what we did. And, um, yeah, so creative control has a lot to do with it. Because, yeah, those first few records with Eazy-E, you know, like when they got the first few, and DJ Unique was being paid by Ruthless, yeah, DJ Unique did those songs. And, yeah, show up at this time and do your parts. DJ Unique talks about that in our interview, in our movie. Now, I don't know if that part is in 
this movie, this portion of the movie, but it will be in one portion of the movie. Because like I said, this portion is just too nice for me. It's just all good stuff. You know what I'm saying? This shit ain't always good. The bad part, what, Flesh went to jail? That ain't so, you know, that's not bad. Let's talk about the whole group, like, breaking away. You got Crazy Bone and Wishbone touring in Canada. You got Lazy Bone and some of the most thugs touring in South America. I mean, that to me, that's when Bone Thugs and Harmony had their hardest time was when and I know why that happened. I I don't think I should really talk about why that happened uh, because you, when you have two or three different managers going in two or three different, let's say three or four different directions, what are you going to have? You're going to have what happened. They broke up, kind of. They never broke up, but they go in different directions because one of them is booking one guy over here, you know, two guys over here, two guys over there, one guy over there. Busy Bone is a superstar doing his own thing over there. That was the demise of Bone Thugs and Harmony during the years that that you're referring to. Yeah, it it definitely seemed like as you start to know, you know, Bone, the camps around them, the the guys and and the teams that make them up, you, you realize that there's so many voices and so many people, you know, around them in their ears. Um, you know, because when when it started out, it kind of seemed like, hey, we, we all kind of answer to the, the same people. We all work with the same people. But as they grew as artists, you get an individual publicist. You get your individual manager. You get an individual agent. And then you have an individual that can tell you, hey, just because they're doing this, we, we, we can do this over here. Um, it really seemed like the solo records were like the beginning of, of that. Was were, were the solo records like something that they'd always talked about and planned, or was that just oh, like fucking listen, out of nowhere? The, from day one, no, no, no. They As soon as we started doing Mothug, Mothug Records, and so at 95, you know, I started working with them. They were talking about all doing solo records. I mean, they had the game plan really, really nicely laid out. And... Um, and that's lazy and crazy. Uh, they had it laid out pretty good. Uh, so th- that was always the idea because they're all talented, yeah. So they had it laid out. They were all going to we do Mota, and then they're all going to do solo records. Yeah, they all laid it out. But what happens when you're, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old? Ten years later, you're 30, 35. So things change, not necessarily because you want them to change, but they change. Things change. So by the time Crazy did uh, Thug Mentality in 1999, they were all going in different directions. And like I said, separate. Everybody had separate managers. Now early on, you know, I want to I want to reflect on this. Early on, when we first started doing the Motha One Two and all that kind of stuff, right after they had done their first two records, um, yeah, they all listened to the same people, and that was themselves. And Unique chimed in a lot. But they didn't have five managers. Steve Lobel wasn't even their manager at that point. Steve Lobel was kind of new, too. you got to remember, Steve Lobel came from the record company, Relativity. So he wasn't really their manager. He wasn't really their manager until, you know, a few years. I mean, like, because they all have separate managers. You know what I mean? And one day, you know, 
Crazy and Wish is, is, you know, fucking with Steve Lobel, and one day Lazy's with him, and then Lazy's with somebody else, and then, you know, Flesh has Tony B, I think is his name, and, and you know, Busy's got his own people. So if those people, the management, if they're not on the same page, yeah, there's problems. That can break the group up. And that I feel like is what happened after Thug Mentality 1999, after Art of War and Thug Mentality, they all went in separate directions. The Art of War was the last huge tour that we were all on together, I believe. The seven buses. Then Crazy Busy Bone. Busy Bone did his solo. Crazy Bone, of course, did his solo. And then we know Lazy Bone did his. But, but, but Busy Bone's solo didn't really do a big. You know, it did okay. But Crazy Bone solo did bigger than any Bone Thugs record. So that was the first nail in the coffin, I think. Do you think there was pressure for Lazy Bone at that point to put out a, a solo, that the L. Burner nope. solo? Nope. nope. You know why? Because Lazy Bone is always comfortable in his own skin. You know why? Because he is the daddy of the most thugs. And whenever they had success, it was always a pat on Lazy Bone's back. So Lazy never has any pressure to do anything. He's kind of the boss, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, let's talk about those years that we're talking about, the 2000s, uh, after, uh, or even the early 1999s when uh, Crazy did Doug Mentality and all that. There was a little power struggle going on between Busy, Crazy, and Lazy. You know, because the most Doug, uh, after the graveyard shift, that was pretty much it for Most Doug. I mean, the office in Cleveland closed down, the Most Doug Records office, and um, there was even a struggle between, I think, Crazy and Lazy during the Most Doug, the office in Cleveland. I think they were trying to figure out who was actually the boss. They both had, you know, I think they were both the boss, but, you know, they couldn't figure out who was the, the, the sort of the boss. And I think in those type of situations, there's good to only be one. So after the Mo Thug office closed down and Crazy Bone did that um, Thug Mentality record, yeah, it was kind of a wrap because they all went in different directions. They all had different managers. They all had different things going on, even different booking agents, I think. But how does Crazy Bone and Wish get up in Canada and North America and Lazy Bone and this guy's in South America and then that guy and Wish was in jail? I'm sorry, Flesh was in jail. Wish was out with uh, Crazy Bone. Lazy Bone will go out anytime, and he can't go out anytime because you know why? Because he has a handful of Mothug dudes that will meet him anywhere in the United States or anywhere in the world and get on yeah. stage with him. So Lazy never has a problem. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I said, man, Mothug is You know, deep. it's funny when you, when you ask, when you say, you know, Mothugs is a label, as a label, a lot of people will tell you it's not – label and then you say you know well is mo thugs a thing and they're like oh mo mo thugs is still very much a thing and, and they'll start to name off you know mo thugs and and you really know that even though it's not technically like an active label like mo thugs was like forever uh again when well, we said was, once you're so, in you're in well you know it was a label right because relativity uh gave an advance relativity was paying for all the most dug records so yeah it was a label and and we had an office in cleveland the most dug records office so yeah it was a record label is it now no 
because in the you know the 1999s when Crazy Bone started doing that big record that we did, that was the end of Mo Thug. Uh, but do people still know Mo Thug? <laughs> no doubt, because we made such a splash on the scene that we were supposed to be bigger than Death Row or No Limit or Bad Boy. We're supposed to be bigger than all of them because we had more talent. Who did Bad Boy have? Mace? Mace started rapping. I feel like I need to fall asleep. It's like, wake the fuck up. I mean, you know, <laughs> so, I mean, of course, Puffy, you know, he had some great records because he had Biggie and he's a really good producer himself. Not so much as a hands-on producer, but he can actually sit back and look at something and look at something and go, almost like Fat Joe. Fat Joe can pull a record out of his ass. He can listen to 20 songs and tell you which one is going to hit. Fat Joe is that guy. So is Puffy. So Puffy, you know, Steve Lobel, I think it was 1997 or 8. Biggie had died. Tupac was dead. So, see, we were at Madison Square Garden. Bone, Mary J, you know, big concert, big tour. And Puffy was there because Mary J was signed to his label. And Lil Bell tried to get me to hook up with Puffy. I'll never forget it. Rome, there's Puffy. Rome, there's Puffy. I was like, and? What, what are you trying to say? What? So what? And see, I was still in the musician mentality. I really was. So when somebody said Puffy to me, I yawned. I was like, who gives a fuck? So what? And Steve understood the music industry, well, the rap side of the music industry better than I did. Rome, that's Puffy. Rome, that's Puffy. Come here, I got to introduce you. You and Puffy could be big together. You and Puffy, Rome, you could play everything. Puffy's the man. I was like, yeah, I don't think so. And I said something that I would probably regret, but I said it anyway. I said, hey, man, um, because he had just been on some magazine as, like, the producer of the year or some shit like that. And I said... That, uh, that seems to be I the said, bone mentality, what you're explaining. I mean, you know, you, you've said it repeatedly in this interview. A, a lot of the guys have had opportunities where you could have said, man, fuck this shit and walked away. But everybody chooses to... To stay. Keep <laughs> yeah, it here. To stay. And so... Like I said, Steve is a great networker, you know, and he knows a lot of people. And uh, some like him, some don't. I don't really care the way. But he had, me and Steve had a thing going on. We made a lot of money together because he would kind of pimp me out, which is, you know, cool. It's like a manager. I was like, please do. So he was trying to hook me up with Puffy. And I never liked his, I, you know, I didn't like the records. I, I didn't give a shit about Bad Boy. I cared about Bone Thugs and Harmony. And... I mean, I'm from New York, but I was more of a West Coast guy, and I love Dr. Dre's productions. You know, that kind of shit, right? Get with Puffy, you and him together. You know, I was like, yeah, whatever. And then I said something, like I said, that I might regret. I might have regretted. I don't know. I'm not caring more. But I said, hey, man, so producer of the year, Puffy, huh? Because he had done Mary J and a bunch of big records. And so he's like, yeah, man. I said, okay. See that piano right there? I will be his slave. I will wash his car and shine his shoes. He just got to do one thing for me. What's that? Show me the middle C on that piano. Otherwise, kiss my ass. And I kept walking. Because we know that he cannot show me the middle C on the piano. He doesn't know music. And I didn't respect people that didn't know music. A little short-sighted on my part, for sure. But I'm a musician. How are you going to say somebody's producer of the year and they can't play four chords on a piano or a guitar or even sing. 
you're a what? You're a musician? No. He's a, I think he's a great entrepreneur, Puffy is. Now, if, he, if Steve would have came at me like that, I would have been like, yeah, hell yeah. Musician, though? Nah, man. Uh-uh. You know what I'm saying? Entrepreneur? Oh, yeah. Big time. So you got DJ Khaled right now. He's killing it, right? DJ Khaled. And I don't know. I, I, I don't really. We the best music and all that shit. I, you know, that, <laughs> when I hear it, I just get a headache. So I'm like, I don't really care. Puffy was that dude in the 90s. Yeah. That's how I, I agree. That's how I sort of look at it. Puffy was the, we the best music, you know, big mouth, you know, sort of dancing around like Suge Knight said. If you want your producer or the owner of your label dancing around on stage, call Bad Boy. If you want to be a real artist, come to Death Row. And I was of that same mentality. So I wasn't really, uh, you know, I, I met Puffy, of course, talked to him and everything like that. And I wasn't really impressed or anything like that. Now, years later, a a engineer, good friend of mine, Peter McCabe, I was at Studio 56, and he was at the record plant right around the corner uh, on Sunset, uh, Santa Monica Boulevard in Hollywood. He says, Rome, um, come around the corner, man. I, I got You have to play something for me. I was like, dude, I'm in a session with Bone, and Mariah's here? Kiss my ass, I can't go. He's like, come on, bring your guitar. Bring your guitar, it takes five minutes. And I love Peter McCabe, great engineer. Just a great guy all the way around. I mean, one of my favorite dudes, right? And um, I said, all right, all right, I'll do it. So I said, Steve, I got to run around the corner and play this little part for my dude. Steve's like, no, man, you got to be here. And I was like, I got to go. So I ran out the door with my guitar. And so I walked in the studio at the record plant. And this is quite a story. And I saw Peter McCabe at the mixing boss. Peter, what's up, man? I'm around the corner and, you know, I got my bone dude, my there, you know, some of the big people. And and he says, I just need to get you to play this one lick on this song. I was like, what song? And it was Led Zeppelin. Um, um, you know, Jananach, Jananach, Jananach. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It was that song. I said, he said, you could play it like you know, one time through. I was like, nigga, I've been playing it since I was, I don't know, 10. But yeah, I could play it, of course. And I was like, Peter, you play it. Because Peter plays guitar too. He said, but not like you, whatever. And I said, sure, I'll play it. And he, he said, just play it four times and I'll loop it. And then you could go back. I was like, oh, shit, all right. And so it's a big studio. Well, first of all, when I walked in, the record plan was a bunch of brothers in the back shoot pool, right? I don't care. I'm going to do it. So I walk in Studio A, Peter McKay. The Studio A is the big studio, the expensive one. <laughs> and so there was someone else sitting towards the back of the studio. I said, who's that? And he said, oh, man, don't worry about that. Just play this lick for me. I was like, all right. The song is Cashmere. I couldn't think of the name. It's Cashmere, right? I've been playing it since I was 10. And I was like, all right. Um, I'll play, you know, four licks, and you can just uh, loop it, keep it moving. Like, yeah, man, that's it. I was like, all right, I'll do it for you, man. And then I got to go. And I said, who's that in the back of the fucking And I'm whispering it. I said, who's that in the fucking back of the studio? I don't feel comfortable. Who's that in the back of the fucking Because I had a war going on with kind of bad boy kind of people, right? After I made that statement at Madison Square Garden, it got around. I don't know if Steve said something. Somebody said something. It got around. Zero respect, right? Show me the middle seat. Well, fuck you. <laughs> so I was like, who's in the back? You know, so he wouldn't tell me. He just said, come on, play it. So I said, okay. You know, so I kind of walked towards the back of Studio A. And you know who was, uh, who was back there sitting in a chair? The guitar player from Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page. Wow. Holy and God. I'm like, 
dude, you want me to play fucking Cashmere? That dude wrote it. He's back there. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, he's, he doesn't feel well or whatever the story was. Can you just play the lick? Because I have to mix it tonight and turn it in. I was like, what's it for? And he said, just play the, come on, Rome, play the part. Just play it. And I was like, dude, it, that's Jimmy Payton. One of my, you know, and I had met all my guitar heroes, but I had not met him. <laughs> and I'm a big, huge Led Zeppelin fan, right? But that must have been and amazing I, for you to to. Oh, dude! It got to get that, that starstruck feeling because I'm I'm sure it's been a long time for you know for you to that you felt that feeling because you become so used to just this being your life. I did, but this is but this was Led Zeppelin. You know that this is Jimmy Page, one of my guitar heroes, and I had met him all. Jeff Beck, I've met him all. Uh, Eric Clapton, I had not met him, and so I was like, Nah, Peter, I ain't doing. It. He said, come on, bro. And I was just fucking wrong. I'm not doing it. He's like, what are you I said, I'm going to take this little camera. Because I always carry it around sort of one of those little Kodak Instamatic, those little yellow ones. And I care. I'm going to say, I'm going to take this. And you're going to take a picture of me leaning up against this motherfucker. And I'm going to act like we're together. And he was like, I don't know. He wasn't feeling well. We can say drunk. We can say whatever you want. I don't know. He was maybe on some. I don't know. I'm just telling you this. I said, Peter, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to lean up against this motherfucker like we together with my guitar and his, and you're going to take the picture, or else I'm not playing the fucking bit. <laughs> I mean, it's a funny story. So he's like, okay, 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 hurry up, though. Lean, don't don't touch him, though. And I was like, man, I'm going to act like I'm with this motherfucker. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to lean towards him. I got my guitar, and he's like, and he's not like, he's kind of slouched over, maybe like he was asleep or something. I don't know. And Peter took the picture. I said, okay, give me the camera. Oh, no, I'll develop it. I'll give, No, give me the entire camera. Give me the whole fucking – he said, but I have other pictures on here. I said, that, well, fuck you. I'm going back to the studio. I'm going back around the corner. Give me the whole camera. So he did. He gave me a camera. <laughs> and I said, all right, now I'll play. What you want me to play? And so I went up and I plugged in. I used to use a, a pod, you know, a, a pod distortion box. So I plugged in and I played a little lick. What none, you know, took less than a minute. I played Jan and Ann, Jan and I, you know, uh, soon t- I tuned my guitar to um, uh, C, which is a, uh, it's what's called an open C. Jimmy Page wrote that, what's called an open C. So I tuned it, you know, played it. And that's probably where Peter had the problem trying to play it. Because if you try to play cashmere and you don't tune it right, it's going to sound not right. So I did it. I played it. So it was, you know, a minute. And so I played it. I was like, all right, man. I said, Peter, what's this shit for anyway? He says, man, it's just for some soundtrack. I don't really know what it's for. They don't tell me. They just pay me. I was like, shit, all right. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And But I wasn't asking for a dime because that's my dude and whatever. I walked out of Studio A. And, you know, there's a lot of smoke towards the back, towards the pool table. Some nigga read, boom, boom, boom. I was like, ah, shit. Because I didn't have no Mo Thug bodyguards or no boom. And this was during the time where there was East Coast, West Coast shit. And, you know, I don't know who's doing this. So, boom, boom, is that wrong? And I was like, fuck. And I have nobody with me. I was like, God damn. And I'm like, and I had my favorite guitar with me. You see a lot of pictures with me with a blue um, guitar with me. It's, it's a Paul Reed Smith. Carlos Santana gave me that guitar. He signed the back of it, and he gave it to me because uh, I was up in, you know, I don't know, near San Francisco, outside of San Francisco. A friend of mine said Santana was going to be playing. I went and I played at the club, and 
you know, we tore it up. Motherfucker gave me the he's tiny, right? So that's one of my favorite guitars. And so I'm like, so it's a whole gang of dudes walking towards me. And like I said, I usually roll around with my mom. And there was none with me because I was just, and wrong, wrong. I was like, ah, oh, shit. And I knew they were bad boys because I recognized a few of them. I was like, damn. I didn't just, so I'm thinking to myself, just just don't break my fucking guitar because, you know, go ahead and, you know, hit me, you know, whatever you're going to do. Ain't the first time I get beat up, won't be the last. So just don't break this guitar. But, you know, niggas don't give a fuck who gave you that guitar. They're going to break it. Yeah, you know, if you're going to get ass with me, you get ass with me. So that crowd of guys moved up close to me. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, what's up? Uh, yeah, man, I just had to throw that down. Shit, I got to go back to 56. I got, you know, bone. I'm with bone around the corner, 56. I wanted to let them know that I had bone diggers with me around the corner. And if they fuck with me, it's going to be bad because bone come back. You know, this is L.A. Bad boys in New York. L.A., bone kind of ran L.A. in the West Coast at that particular in the 90s, right? And so I was like, yeah, bone, thugs, we're around the corner, right? You know, I was being loud with it. And so... Niggas was talking shit. Oh, yeah, you was talking that shit about Puffy and the motherfucking middle seat, nigga. That, all that kind of shit, right? And um, I was like, oh, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And so one dude reached out and handed a piece of paper. And I took it, you know, and it was a check for $10,000. I shouldn't say how much it was. It was a check for some money. And... I was like, what's this for? He said, uh, yeah, you just played on my soundtrack, nigga. Now get your fucking, you know, talk shit. Get your ass out of here. Call me all sorts of names, everything like that. And I was like, damn, well, you know, and I was, I have to say I was mad. I, I normally might have ripped that check up and thrown it away. But being, up here, go outside. Let my dog out. Being so upset. Come here, Jack. Come here. Come here. Come here. Jack. Okay, take your bone. Go outside. There you go. Sorry about that. Let my dog. Oh, you're good. Um, and so, because my feelings were hurt at that point. Because, you know, uh, they had heard I was talking shit about puppy, whatever, this, that, and the other. And, uh,. Well, one of the guys from Bad Boy handed me a, it was a Bad Boy check, and, you know, it was worth a certain amount of money, and I was like, you know, what's this for? Well, today, you're my bitch. I was like, what? Because I had already played on the song. So the bottom line is, if I knew it was for Bad Boy or Puppy, I would have never played on the fucking song, because, you know, we didn't, you know, I didn't like him. He didn't like me, but. I don't know, maybe I was the guitar player in the neighborhood, but definitely the best one. And um, they... So I don't think we've um, actually said it, but I mean, I assume this is the song that, that Puffy did called Come With Me. It ended up on the Godzilla right. soundtrack. Yeah. That's, that's, I have the plaque. And, I am looking at the plaque right now. So, yeah, wow. that is the song. So this is the story around that. Now, I didn't know at the time. I didn't know nothing. But what I did by accepting that check I relinquished all my rights to royalties. Now, if I, you know, I'm a good businessman. I never sold my publishing. I would have never taken a nickel. I, you know, for one, it said bad boy on it. So I was mad about it. But I didn't know it was for a sound. I didn't know what it was for. So 
you know, they kind of said some nasty things to me. I walked out. I left Studio 50. I mean, the, the record plan. I walked back around the corner because the 56 is right around the corner from record plan. So I walk around the corner, and I'm kind of mad. And Steve's like, man, what you what you talking to? Man, 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 uh, my dude Peter, and he knew Peter McCabe, you know, one of my engineers. Man, he tricked me and shit, man. He got me to play on this fucking soundtrack. And he's like, what's it for? I said, I don't know, because I didn't know. And I said, look, and I got this. And Steve saw that check. And he's like, nigga, you was only gone for three, four minutes. I was like, whatever, man. It's just not worth it. I'm mad. And Steve said something that was very important. He said, well, shit, give me the check then. I'll cash it. And I was like, well, I guess you're right. Maybe I should go ahead. But by cashing that check, by checking that check and cashing it, it relinquished all rights. Just kind of like what same thing working for Prince. If you are being paid from him weekly or whatever you're getting paid, and you play a cool-ass lick on whatever song, he owns that shit. Same thing with a record company. Uh, if you plan, like I played that little lick right there, and it took you know no time to do it because I've been playing it since I was 10, I don't own it at, at that point. If I didn't take a nickel for it, I could go back and get a lawyer and claim it. But the fact that I took money for it, I don't own it yeah. anymore. I don't ever gave me the check, which was bad boy. Yeah, I'm 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 pretty familiar with with that type of process. I've I've booked uh, a few artists on features, and uh, you know it's basically the same thing. I I give them a an upfront amount of money, and you know it's the only money you get. And usually they don't care because they're like, you know, it's probably not going to be a, a fucking hit. Like this is the most money that'll be made off this song. Um, but it's the same situation. If if one of these guys do one of those those features for somebody, and for some reason that song uh, is fucking huge you know, then then they took their, their flat. I, I would say the only difference is usually these guys still, you know, retain all their, like, their publishing for a feature and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but on this one, I signed it all the way. And um, that song ended up being huge. Huge. Massive. Massive fucking song. And, and, and so on that recording that we hear... That that fucking that's on me. that come with me. That's that's, me. that's Romeo. That's so me. many people that's think me on a lot Jimmy of Page. That you hear from back then. To be honest with you, I was kind of the only guitar player playing on shit through the '90s because they still considered me a you know a black dude because I was with Bone. Even though I'm light skinned, my dad's Italian. I'm considered black. So a lot of the rappers they weren't having those white boy rockers play on shit. They was calling the nigga that they knew, which was me. Thanks to Steve Lobel, he was booking me on a lot of stuff. Fat Joe and everybody got to know me. All the Wu-Tang got to know me from Fat Joe. So, yeah, I played on so much stuff that I couldn't even tell. Steve could probably tell you better than me because he was kind of collecting the checks for me. We had a little thing going on. and But, yeah, if 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 somebody pays you for your work, then they own that piece that you did. And had I known. It was for somebody I didn't like very much. I'd have never done it. That's why they did it so slick. Smart. It was really smart. It was a smart thing to do. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. I would have said, you know what? You played your fucking self. Kiss my ass. Because I was also stubborn at the time, and I was pretty rich. I uh, I, I enjoy that. <laughs> you you sound like a, a guy that's seasoned enough that, well, you don't like the move. In, in retrospect, this many years later, it sounds like you can really appreciate uh, the the move and, and how smart it was. Um, yeah, it was slick. <laughs> I, I have to say yeah. I was mad about it. 
So when me and Steve were talking about it, we had to both say how slick it was. It was pretty fucking slick because I would have never done it. But I'm sure Peter, being the engineer, Puffy probably said, who's around here that you could call? Because the engineer's usually white, and it's a rock song. And the dude that was there to play on it, because he wrote it, he was probably in no condition to play on it. I can't say, you know, what he was doing there. You know, I'm not, I would never say anything about anybody like that. But uh, Peter got me to play on it, that lick. And the dude that was there, um, maybe he was, I don't know, he was sleeping. They heard, need to hurry up and do a mix. They needed to turn it in. I, I don't know. I, and I'd never say even if I did know. But, yes, I played on that. And I didn't really know how big it was because I was busy, so busy with Bone and Crazy Bone at the time that I didn't know how big it was till I saw the shit on MTV. And then I get yeah. even mad. Because <laughs> in the video, it's Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Even the single and says featuring Jimmy Page. Dude, I was telling my girlfriend. I was like, I played on that. Remember, I was so mad about that. She said, yeah, I remember that. And I said, look, I still have the, the check stuff from where they paid me to play. And they said, well, how come they didn't get you to be in a video? I said, because it's for Puffy. It's for bad. I was so mad. Dude, that would propel me to a different stratosphere if I was in that video playing that leg. You know what I'm saying? I was so mad. Yeah, that's but that's hey. incredible. I mean, that's, you know, I it's it's well, so it's incredible fun, because I, I bring guys on, uh, you know, this to obviously talk about bone, but almost every time I find out something that's game altering that has nothing to do with bone. I mean, that's that's game altering to hear that it, it's not fucking Jimmy Page playing on that record, that it's Romeo Antonio. Well, I let me, let me get that straight. Jimmy Page wrote it. If it wasn't for Jimmy Page, oh, of, it course, of it, course, it wouldn't be there to play on. So let's just say that um, because Jimmy Page, one of my idols, and I just wanted a picture with him. So, but yeah. I mean, that, that's just one. I, I have so many stories like that, man, that it's sickening. That Not sickening in a bad way. I mean, listen, I made plenty of money, and I've done really, really well. So it's not sickening like that. But I don't know. Is, just imagine if is that it was hard? in that video. Is it hard sometimes to be, I guess, the uncredited success? Yeah, I mean, take you're you're seat. such a big deal and on so many records, and... You know, you're you're on records that you know. I I don't even think people know. I you know, like Thug Devotion. Just going back to Bone, I don't think a lot of people attribute the fact that you're on that record. And that, makes, and that makes me mad for that. I mean, Wikipedia says that that's me playing all the instruments, but it makes yeah, some something like Thug Devotion where I'm playing everything. I'm I mean everything, the bass, the guitar, the drum, everything, and that bugs me that. I think the most of people know it, but the the general population doesn't know it. So, in fact, when they were shooting that video, uh, you know, uh, Thug Devotion video in Cleveland, I happened to be busy working on another session, so I wasn't able to go and be in that video. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that, you know, that kind of, you know, later on in life, you're like going, you know what, because let, let's just say that, that song, that Come Go With Me song, the Godzilla, and I actually, by the way, did four songs on the Godzilla soundtrack, which I didn't even know. Um, I have Holy to look shit. at it, because I'm, I'm looking at the plaque right here, and I didn't get the plaque for Come Go With Me, because I sold that. I sold the rights to that one. Of course, I get a plaque anyway, because everybody knows I played on it, but I, I played on quite a few songs on that Godzilla soundtrack, 
uh, what's some of the other songs? Anyway, what's that? Anyway, so, but yeah, it bothers me a little bit, you know, but it's sort of, it, you always keep that in the back of your mind and be like, yeah, I did that shit. But the fact that nobody else knows I did, like Thug Devotion, the song, I was listening to it recently because Lazy Bone just put out, you know, Mo Thug's Greatest Hits or something, and it's mm-hmm. on it, of course. So I was listening to it, and I was talking to Rob, you know, Lazy Bone's Rob, and I was like, I said, Rob, every song on this, Mo Thug's best hits. I did them all. And he said, yeah, I know. I told I, I told Lazy which songs to put on that record. And I know they're all your songs. And I was like, yeah, but I feel like shit. You know, because my name's on some of them, but not all of them. And, I, you know, that kind of bothers me a little bit. But a lot of things that bother me, because everybody knows me with Mo Thug, right? That's not the hard thing to figure out. But Crazy Bone, a lot of the records they produced by Crazy Bone is Romeo Antonio. A lot of people know that too, especially on his 1999 uh, Thug Mentality record. And there's a lot of them. A lot of the hits. A lot yeah, of I mean, it's it's been, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you right now that I was pretty aware. I mean, I, I think, you know, just from our conversations, I was I was pretty aware of of you and, and what you did and your and how much you did with Bone, but I had no idea how much you did with Bone um, until I started to dig in, until I started to talk to you, you know, finding out, finding oh, out. shit, Romeo was on this record. I had no idea that you were even on this record. Again, you, you know, uh, I, and I that didn't goes know. Back to, and that goes back to the reason I, I was their, you know, music director on tour. The guys at Relativity and, and, you know, at Sony and uh, Steve Lobel and all those, those guys on those, on all those tours that they did, they needed somebody who could get their sign, you know, play that shit. And I feel good that they couldn't find anybody else. So they had to pay whatever amount I asked for. Because, sure, go ahead, and, go ahead and find some people. But what one guy does, you're going to have to hire five. And I told them that. And it's a fact. Even on, like, Thug Devotion, man, it's such a cool group. I mean, like, the, even the bass line on that, it is the whole thing. I don't know. I, I, I've done a lot of stuff with those guys. And I'm proud of them, very proud of them. But I have to tell you, and this will be a shock to some people, with my eyes closed, sleep, I could play that shit. A lot of those songs that I produced were half sleep. Because when you're a musician, like a jazz musician, it's not hard to play. Like Crazy yeah. Bone would say, oh, you know that song, Thug Devotion? There's when I was like, yeah, I've been playing it since I was 10. That's what I'm trying to get right here. I was like, all right, go sit, go sit over there. Let me handle this shit for you. Me and the engineer. Input one, bam, bam, bass line, guitar line. Yeah, I, you know, everything. I mean, that's just how it was. And it was quick. And that's the other thing about it. People probably wouldn't know how fast I laid down. I would do five songs a night. That's how easy it was for me. And people probably wow. wouldn't know that. Yeah, five a night on it. That's what I'm saying. We have so many songs that we never actually put out. Just me and Crazy Bone, so many songs. Me and the Mothug, so many songs. Me and Lazy Bone, so many songs. Because five a night, as long as they were paying those invoices, shit, you know? You know, I get to the studio around two, three, four in the afternoon, go all night. Just fun. It was fun. If you think about it, 
it wasn't like work. It was just fun. Me, uh, let me let me change gears just a little bit because there's a, sure. there's a couple things that I want to make sure that I get in before we wrap up. Uh, I got a sure. couple more bone things, and then I actually have some specific uh, questions about you. Um, first, I, you know, I, I was just looking at films you're involved with. Of, of course, you know, the bone ones stand out. I saw one uh, that was kind of interesting to me that I wanted to ask about. I saw that you're connected to a, a film that, looks possible for the future called BTNH Leatherface. Is that, is that right? Yeah, Bone Thugs and Harmony Leatherface. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tell me tell me about it. I think that's the first time I've ever seen anything about it. What, what that's, uh, that? that's You know who Leatherface is, right? That's crazy. Yeah, that's his alter ego. And so that is an animated uh, movie. And it's, yeah, it's about Crazy Bone and his alter ego and Leatherface. You know, Leatherface is <laughs> Halloween. Or, yeah, I mean, you know, Leatherface is a killer. Well, all it all is called him Leatherface. How many times did Crazy Bone say that in lyrics? That's him. And so, uh, I don't know, it was a couple of years ago, I was talking to some dudes from like DreamWorks or some animated thing. And they were like, you have a project you want to do, bro? I was like, yeah. And I called Crazy. I was like, Leatherface, you want to do a Leatherface? And he's like, what you mean? I was like, animation. He's like, who are you? So that's how that came to be. I, I, and listen, it's at the infant stage because I haven't written it yet. I haven't planned it out or anything, but that is a animation about uh, Crazy Bone. I think that's something exciting, you know, exciting for the fans. So I, I did just want to get that out there. Um, go, going right along with films that you're involved with. This is a big one. Uh, same quick biopic, you know, uh, I, I I was hearing about that. I knew you were involved with it. I saw that there was a lot. And then it just kind of, I, I saw it go away. Is, is that something that we're still going to see come out? I know you were really, you know, pushing that heavy for a minute. Yeah. And I'll tell you what I did with it. I, I entered into a lawsuit with the people who trashed me on the internet or tried to. And it goes back to uh, Sam Cook's manager, Alan Klein, his son, he runs, the, you know, Alan Klein died, I don't know, five years ago, whatever, and his son, Jody Klein, runs the uh, company for Alan Klein, he died, and um, so when they wrote in The Hollywood Reporter, also Rolling Stone did an interview, a lot of people, I mean, you know, if you search it, you'll see, I did a lot of interviews with a lot of people, because it's huge, because it's a murder mystery, who killed, and by the way, I took it down because it was called Sam Cook the Truth or some shit like that. But I I took it, I had my agent at, and I see him take it down because that's not what I want. Who killed Sam Cook? You're going to see that pop up. That's the title. Who killed Sam Cook? And it's a murder mystery and there are four suspects. Alan Klein, the manager, is only one of the suspects. So I'm not actually pointing the finger at him. So the best thing when you can do a murder mystery or a CSI type of thing is when you let the audience figure out who the killer is. So I have four suspects, like one of the particular suspects, Sam Cooke, is on stage singing, another Saturday night, and I ain't, right? And some girl is looking at him, and he's looking at her, and he's like, you know, and they have but to do. And this is actually the opening scene of the movie. Check this out. You know, I'll, I'll fly through it. The opening scene of the movie is we're on stage, Sam Cooke's on stage, and it's the, you never want to do a whole song in a movie ever. 
because you're going to lose your audience. They don't give a fuck. They want to hear the whole song. They'll go buy the record. They'll download it, right? So it's the end of one of his You Send Me or one of his love songs, and it's the end of it. And so I show that stage for a minute with Sam Cooke for not even a minute, I don't know, 30 seconds. Then we reverse the camera, and you zoom in on this girl that's got crazy eyes for Sam Cooke, right? And she's just giggling and all this kind of shit, right? It's the normal shit. Then we go back to him, and he's pointing at her, and he's singing, and it's sexy, right? Then we pan over to the dude standing right next to her, and we zoom in on her. And this nigga's man, fuming. He's like under his breath, I'm going to kill you, nigga. And then so we pull out a little bit, and this nigga's mad. He's looking at his girl like, why are you looking at Sam Cooke like this? Then, you know, we pull out. He snatches her hand a little bit. He's whispering her ear. Look, you embarrassing me. You know, that kind of shit, right? Fast cut. The end of the song is over. Thank you. Good night. Sam Cooke's walking backstage. And there is Alan Klein. He hits him on the butt. Oh, you killed him tonight. And it's like, yeah, thanks, man. Then you have Zelda Samuels. Very important. Sarah, Zelda Samuels is uh, Sam, uh, Sam Cook's assistant. Also, Alan Klein's assistant. I did a four-hour, two-camera shoot with Zelda Samuels. She's 86. I want to hurry up and get it before she died, right? Because she told me so much about these two people or everybody. I mean, you know, because he managed the Beatles. He managed the Rolling Stones. Zelda Samuels was the assistant. So what do you think she was doing? She was giving everybody blowjobs. So she told me about Ringo and John Lennon and every, you know, listen, the movie on her is incredible. But, you know, I have to do Sam Cooke first. My second one's going to be, it's called Zelda, because she has seen it all. While I'm sitting there in her house up in the Hollywood Hills, and I interview her, I said, Zelda, I don't want to stop, but I have to stop. I got to get some cameras in here. Do you mind? I bring some cameras. She said, no. So I call my studio. I get two cameras. I do a two-camera shoot, four-hour interview. You know what she did? She pulled out a, a photo album with those old 60s photos. You know, fucked up. Some of them black or white. Her and John Lennon? What? Her and Ringo and her and Paul McCartney and her and, wow. you know, the Rolling Stones. Yes. And I'm like, oh, my God, she's the real deal. So I said, okay, Zelda, I know who you are now. I put that down. I said, Zelda, what do you think about Alan Klein? She says, well, I worked for him for 20 years. And I said, you got to tell me, look at that camera right there and tell us that he have anything to do with Sam Cooke's death. She had him murdered. He had him murdered, she said. I was like, oh, my God. She said that in two, a two-camera shoot. And I was like, so – how come he didn't go to jail if you Well, all of the LAPD was on his payroll back then. That was 1964, and he owned a brothel on Figaro and 48. It's still there. It's called the Hacienda. I was like, no shit. So the shit that I learned from her took me forward. Went home. It, I mean, it, it, you know, I was like, so what happened? And she says, well... Sam Cooke, he had a bunch of really rich guys that wanted him to start his own R&B label. I said, oh, and what happened? She says, well, I wasn't going to lose his moneymaker, so what did he do? He had him killed. I was like, that's some Tupac shit. That's what happened to Tupac with Suge Knight, right? Because Jimmy Iovine said, hey, Tupac, you have Machiavelli Records. You're going to take Dr. Dre with you. You're going to take everybody with you. What happened? He ended up dead the next week, and that's a fact, Jack. I, I have so much proof on that, too, because I became sort of that guy, right? 
And so, and so Zelda, I said, so what? Well, so he was at the diner down the street from this motel, which was a brothel. And he's having a bite to eat with this guy. This guy gave him $100,000. Back then, $100,000 in cash is probably like $10 million today. He gave him $100,000 in cash to start his own record label. So Sam Cooke always loved Alan Klein. So, you know, I have him coming out of the diner whistling, happy, skipping, just happy as can be. Go straight to the phone booth, puts in a nickel or a dime, whatever things were for 1964. Hey, buddy, we got it. And here's Alan Klein on the other line. And by the way, John Hamm, you know who John Hamm is, the actor? Yeah, you know who he is? Um, yeah. He's the guy. Um, you know, from, uh, I'll think of it in a second. John Hamm is huge. I've already got him. He was the first guy I got, actually, John Hamm, to play Alan Klein. Because, you know, it's being shot in 1964. So Mad Men, the show that John Hamm is a star on, yeah, that was in 1960. So I thought about who can I do? Who can I? So I went to him. I gave him a little pitch. He says, I'm in. I got Clint Eastwood, Rob Reiner. Everybody wants to direct it. This shit is huge, right? And it's because it's a true story. That's why it's so huge. It's like Clint Eastwood had just done American Sniper, which is a true story. And between the press, because the American, the true actually American Sniper dude was shot by one of his, uh, you know, gun students. And that was going on. That trial was going on while the movie was being shot. So Clint Eastwood, you know, cha-ching, cha-ching, right? That whole thing. And um, so, I, you know, I didn't know Clint Eastwood, but Billy Gerber, who was the president of Warner Brothers at one point, he works with Clint Eastwood, did a Grand Torino with him. And, um, and I know Billy really, really well. And I said, uh, hang on, where's my dog? I hear him. And I said, so he introduced me. I did a little pitch to him. I said, this is a true story. Um, and I told him what it was, and I said, this guy killed this guy. And it, No, I don't want him in. He's going to tear everything up. Don't let him in unless I let him in, because I don't want him doing this. Hang on a second. Give, give, give. Come here. Come, come. Come on. Yeah. Oh, he'll give it to me. Come on. Keep going. All right. Sorry about that. No, you're good. Um. So, you know, I gave him the little story, and I said, listen, this is a true story. This is what happened, blah, 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 blah. And he says, wow, I'm in. Rob Reiner, he owns Castle Rock. He, everybody wants to direct it. It's huge. So Zelda, so she gives me the story, and she said, da-da-da, this happened. And, uh, right? So here we are. We open up. Sam Cooke's on stage. He walks backstage. There's a great show. Flash cut. We're, we're in that diner where the guy gives him a lot of money. And he says, we want you to start, because Sam Cooke, if you can read about it, Sam Cooke was actually had a lot of uh, R&B female singers and male singers, and he was sort of grooming them to do their own records as a producer. Well, then he ended up dead. So I'm like, this shit, this stinks, right? And uh, so after Zelda told, told me that, my sister's district attorney, and um, I started, you know, doing a little snooping around. And I found two coroner's reports. Well, newsflash, you can only die once. So if there's two coroner's reports that were signed off by the chief of police at the time, there's a place called Parker Center, which is LAPD headquarters right now today. Well, it's called Parker Center because Chief Parker was the chief back then, and he signed both of them. And guess what? You can only die once. So 
So if there's two coroner's report, one of them says that he was beat to death. The other one says he was shot to death. Self-defense. Mm, shit. The hooker. Yeah, the woman that ran the brothel. She was yeah, I was going to say, they, 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 uh, they believe, I, I think uh, on paper or something, it says something about a hotel, right? Like not a brothel and uh, yeah, no, he, it's he a killed by the... It's a hacienda. It's a hotel on 48th and Figueroa. It's still there. In fact, I went there. But back then, in the 60s, yes, it was a brothel. And it was run and owned and operated by Alan Klein. And LAPD was on the payroll, so they wouldn't bust it down, right? Just like a speakeasy back in the day. Oh, yeah. Brothel, same thing. Yeah. Well, so after, so he calls his manager and says, I got it. I got the money. I can start my own label. We, we got it. Because in the whole movie... He shows nothing but love towards Alan Klein, even though there's a scene where Mick Jagger, they're in a bar, a smoke-filled bar, and Mick Jagger's complaining because Alan Klein's taking their money. Where, hey, you know, it's a British accent, and I have him in the shadows so we don't have to cast for Mick Jagger. He's in the shadows. You see the smoke-filled room because back in the 60s, everybody smoked, and they got the whiskey, and they're smoking and drinking. this a little jazz thing going on. Hey, we do the work, mate. We're on stage. Da, 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 da. And he's talking shit about his manager, right? And you know what Sam Cook says? He says, hey, man, if it wasn't for Alan, then I'd still be in Mississippi singing in the church choir. And here I am, a superstar. So he always sort of stuck up for his manager who then had him killed. Uh, like, you know, the Beatles, the Rolling Stone, everybody hated him. I mean, you know, Zelda told me all the stories, right? And so, you know, so then I do a little investigation myself, two and a half years to be exact. And I found all sorts wow. of shit. I wish that. Yeah. Yeah. Is, it, is there, do you have a projected, like, guesstimate as to when this may see the public eye, or is it still really? Next year, uh, I, I'm still writing it because I'm actually writing it. Like it said in the article that Mary Krell, oh, she was writing it or co-writing it with me, but she was too much of a nice writer and I needed it to be more a matter of fact. I needed it to be more black. And she's very much an Asian writer and she was too safe. So I actually fired her. And uh, Trey Ellis, who wrote my book, uh, he's a professor at Columbia University and he wrote uh, some big, you know, he wrote Tuskegee um, Airman, the book and the movie. And he wrote The Inkwell, the book and the movie about Martha's Vineyards and, you know, the um, the black kids with the Kennedys uh, at Martha's Vineyard. They only allowed them to play in one particular part of the, in Martha's Vineyards with the politicians' kids because they were black. And back then they could only play in one pond. And they used to call it the inkwell because when they get in it, they were black and they would turn it color ink, right? That's what the inkwell is about. And so... Uh, he wants to write the screenplay for me, but, you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, seeing who I want. So far, I'm, I'm doing it myself, but I am going to have a huge writer write it and a huge director direct it. But so, yeah, um, so, yeah, it, the reason I took it down was, A, I sued the people. Uh, well, what I did was, I again, got a private investigator and said, who's talking shit about me on the Internet? I've never stole a dime from anyone. And everybody that knows me knows that. I give dimes. I give people I, I give people careers. I give them, you know, I've made millions for people. And then it comes back to the girl that started talking shit on the internet, Digit, whatever it is, and all that all that nastiness and all that shit. She runs a um, management, a property management company. Well, guess what? 
fine. That's what they own. They own property management. So I did my research, and she he owns, yeah, he actually owns the stuff that she does management for. So he actually paid her to go online and, and some other girl talk shit about me because he, he actually threatened me. My partner, Mike DeLorenzo, I, I had him on a speaker phone. I don't care about getting threatened. It's like, yo, man, you know where my studio is. I'm in L.A. Just meet me at the corner. We'll fucking throw it down like a couple of motherfuckers, you know. Let's get it. Of course, you know, he ain't that kind of dude, you know. So I, you know, did a little this and that and the other. I did an IP search. Uh, my friends at LAPD did an IP search for me. You're usually not supposed to do an IP search unless you have a warrant. But I have some friends. Did IP search. Came back to the building in New York that it came from. Guess who owned that building? Hmm. Yep, the client people. So I so at that point I got a lawyer and I sued for thirty million for defamation, libel, everything, and won. Uh, I won uh, towards the end of last year, so it's still three, four months fresh, that kind of thing. So they gave him a certain amount of time to get it off the internet and all that kind of shit, or it's going to be more than thirty million. Problem is with that kind of stuff is, will I ever see the thirty million? I doubt it. Because you know it goes into a lot trying to get it. Um, will they take that up the internet? They have to. Um, anyway, that's that story. Uh, that, and, and, and I and I'm just assuming, but I mean that that pushback from you know the 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 Klein family or who, whoever represented that that shit talk. I mean that must have held up this this considerably for a minute. Yeah, well it did because it, you can't be in a lawsuit when you're trying to make a movie because. Uh, like Warner Brothers, Castle Rock, uh, uh, Rob Reiner's Castle Rock, Clint sort of Warner, they won't go forward with a production if you're in a like, you know, legal lawsuit. That's why they did it, so that I would stop my making up the movie because he threatened me. He said, hey, if you make my father look like a killer, I'm going to ruin you. That's what he said. I was like, fuck my dick, ruin this. you know. And so he started that, started a lawsuit. Two years it took. So, yeah, that's why it took that amount of time because when you're in a lawsuit, you cannot make a movie because no uh, movie company will put it out. So they just stop. They don't spend the money. The budget on that Sam Cooke movie is $28 million, and so you're not getting a nickel until it's settled. So I sued them, and I won, so it's settled. Now I could move forward on it. Now, during the time that I wasn't sitting around, you know, sitting on my thumb, I was writing. I was putting it together. I was putting my cast together, who I want to play, this, that, and the other. You know, so I, I definitely put it together. But I don't just do one movie at a time. I do like eight. So I stay continuously busy. Um, anyway, so that's the Sam Cooke movie. It will be called something along the lines of Who Killed Sam Cooke because it's a murder mystery. And Sam Cooke, the truth? Nah. So Boris Kitt, who's the main editor, uh, chief editor at Hollywood Reporter, he is going to do a follow-up piece. So is the Rolling Stone magazine. They're all going to do a follow-up piece when I call them and say I'm ready. And then I'll do a follow-up piece, and I'll tell them, you know, the truth. I'll say, hey, the reason I put it on hold for a minute is because, you know, defamation, libel, all that kind of stuff. And I uh, wonder who it came from. And they're going to say, well, why? Well, because Alan Klein may have killed him, may have had him killed. I actually have proof and evidence that he did have him killed. I mean, 100% proof. You see, back then, they didn't have DNA. They couldn't tell what time you died. Now they can. <laughs> right? Now they could tell if you died from your neck being broke first or shot. And yet he 
he was beat to death first. Then he was shot for the cover-up. Why was he beat to death? And who was he beat to death? That's actually um, one of my ending scenes. He's walking towards the lobby of the motel that he got killed at. Because, you know, he just paid the hooker and they had sex. I'm not going to, you know, this isn't like a rated hard R. I'm not even going to show sex. Everybody knows what happens when a hooker comes to your room. So they get that thing. He gets up. He says, you know, I'm feeling really good. And I have a friend showing up. I'm going to go down to the lobby and order me another young lady. Okay, honey. That's what the hooker said. So he goes down. As he's walking towards the lobby, I show a car, the tire of a car parking. See, back then it was white wall Cadillacs. So I show the tire inching up to the curb. He's getting closer. Men step out. And, you know, I got this from The Godfather. You know the part where we see, we don't really see the men's faces when The Godfather gets shot and Fredo, the fucking idiot, he fumbles around with the gun and he sits on the curb. Papa, Papa. Well, that's where I got this from. So if you think about those shooters or re-watch the movie, we never see the shooter's face. You just hear the men click, 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 almost like they're running up on him, right? We know they're running up because we can hear their shoes. So that's the same exact thing that I'm using. You hear the men get out of the car, and then you hear clack, clack. And the closer he gets to the lobby, the closer they get. And then they in, in a rush, that sort of thing. And when he gets up to the lobby, all you hear is clack, 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 you know, all this kind of shit. That is actually the beginning of the movie. And then when you hear those cracks and then a pow, pow, the gunshot, screen goes back black, and then we start the movie off from the beginning. So that's the beginning of the movie, and that is also the end of the movie. Anyway, I, you know, I've been working on the thing for a couple of years. Hey, that, pretty- that's dope. I, I look forward to that. Uh, you know, that's that's something that I was kind of interested in even before we had this uh, this interview. So that's, you know, that's dope. I, I love that you do, you know, so many movies. I, I know you've been in, involved with, you know, everything from – from TV to film, one of the things that I thought I, I, I saw in there, is it correct that you won an Emmy for the DMC documentary? Yep. Um, for the Sarah McLaughlin DMC, I won the Emmy for it, absolutely. Wow. That's, uh, that's CBS, Sunday, I, CBS Sunday Morning aired it. We did the Just Like Me video. And, you know, it's, you know so we did uh, – DMC is adopted, and so is Sarah McLaughlin. So we had a camera crew follow DMC all through Harlem looking for his mother, and we found her. Sarah McLaughlin, the same thing. We all through Canada looking for uh, her biological parents, and we found them. So, you know, I made it into a little documentary, a movie, and, you know, went around the circuit, won everything. And then CBS Sunday Morning picked it up, and they aired it. And so that's what the Emmy is for. Yeah, what won that? Working with, I mean, because when you go over your list, it's it's unbelievable. It's it's literally that you've worked with, you know, fucking legends, um, and you've been very selective with your with your hip hop, you know. Um, and, oh and yeah, you work there. I don't work with nothing, but because like I said, I didn't particularly like rap. So if I'm gonna work with some hip hop people, they're gonna be top notch. They gotta, you know, and 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 you gotta say, I mean. <laughs> Fucking DMC is, is is top notch. How how did that come about? Was did Steve LaBelle set you up with that? How did you end up working with DMC and 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 you worked so heavy on that Check Thugs and Rock and Roll album? I didn't just work on it. My label um, put it out. I mean Roman Empire Records. Yeah, the Roman Empire. Yeah, 
I own Roman Empire, and Wea is uh, uh, we put it out through Wea, which is Warner. Um, not only is it, yeah, it's like I don't know, three million dollars, you know, cost to make that record. We did not break even because DMC. Man, I don't know. Listen, I got Kid Rock. I got um, the dudes from uh, you know, I, I, a lot of huge people on the record. Um, so we made that record, and well, the way that I met him was, I mean, you know, we're all from Queens. Steve Lobel, myself, Run DMC. Yeah. So I kind of knew him from a bunch of different people. But I was kind of twiddling my thumbs. I don't know, it was 2007 or, well, I don't know when it was, but something like that. And I was looking for something to do. And he's like, Run DMC, Steve Lobel told me that Run DMC was going to be entered into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame next year or something like that. You should do the, the record that puts them in there. Because, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you got to be in the business 25 years. You have to have a record out for that first year, and you should have one out when they put you in. So I said, yeah, okay. So I met DMC, and I already knew him. I loved him and everything like that. And there's actually some stuff online that you can find making uh, making, making of Machine Gun or making of Just Like Me. And it's myself, Mike DiLorenzo, Gary Durden, where I interview, and everybody that's in that video that I won the Emmy for. It's all over. You, you can find it. Just look it up. And, um, and uh, the Machine Gun video is really some of my best work. I mean, I worked really hard on that. Uh, Jim Hendrix's Machine Gun. Um, I redid it for DMC, and um, so so yeah, I knew him. But uh, Steve Bell really kind of hooked it up, set up the studio time for me at my studio, at the Backroom Studio. So I did that record, that album. Then I shot three videos, and then we went on tour and we did Live Eight uh, together with Arrow Smith and Tommy Lee from. Uh, Motley Crue, DMC, and my dude Gary Durden is singing, you know, on it. I'm singing, and we toured. We did a nice tour through Canada, Europe, did all that shit, and we were killing it. But DMC was losing his voice right around. Well, he had already lost his voice. Throughout the entire recording process, it was really, really hard, like pulling teeth, and I hated that I was doing it, to be honest with you. I wished it was busy, crazy, or lazy. But it was DMC. It was for his record, so I couldn't tour with Busy, Crazy, or Lazy on the Live Eight tour because it was DM, it was on his record, Check Thugs and Rock and Roll. So I kind of had to do that, and he had voice problems and smoking crack. He lost his voice, and um, anyway, so we toured, huge tour through you know, Live Eight, Canada, Europe, did all that kind of shit. Like for, I said, for you with your your work, and I mean. Is it kind of, you know, the same, you know, the same process, you know, I'm Romeo, I know what the fuck I'm doing, I, I can make it happen, or was it considerably different having to, to work with DMC versus, you know, you obviously have a very cohesive, easy working relationship with, like, you know, Bone? It was exactly the same, because DMC already knew me, and he had already been in the studio with me and Bone Thugs and Harmony, because you know, they're very close. I mean, you know, they all know each other from Steve and from this person and that person. So he had been to the studio. Um, uh, so with Reverend Run, they'd all been to the studio and saw me working with Bone and all that kind of stuff. Had a lot to do with him saying, yes, I want Romeo to produce and do this record because we're about to go in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And so he already knew how I got down. So, yeah, man. It was, uh, you know, and that's a fun record, man. I got Paris Hilton on a on a song called um, uh, Freaky Chick, or yeah, she's a freaky chick. I'm singing it. 
Paris is on this little part in it, just sounded super sexy, and I have corn on it. I mean, you know, listen, it's, it's, a, it's a good record, except our lead vocalist, DMC, was losing his voice, and, it, and he sounds terrible on the record. I did what I could. The production on it is uh, the shit. It's impeccable. Because I was like, yeah. this shit is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, they're going to hear this shit, right? And they did, you know. Then the following year, Run DMC won the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I went with them because I did that record. And um, Yeah, it, it, it's a dope record, and, and it was good. It, it came out, you know, 2006. So, I mean, it's obviously, you know, well was after it six the... Or seven? Six, six or seven? Yeah, it came out actually March of 2006. Um, yeah, I don't remember. But I know that we ended up doing that tour, the Live 8 tour in 07, I think. I, well, I'm not sure because I did a bunch of videos. And listen, back then, I still spent a lot of money. I spent like $3 million, you know, because I got two uh, two Jets, T5s, um, picked up the East Coast crew, picked up the West Coast crew. And I was actually in Seattle. Uh, because I own a pretty big property in Seattle, and uh, Gary got on the plane in L.A. and Burbank, and because he was, he lives in L.A. and so you know I had a and they all lived on the East Coast, and his management uh, was in Boston, so I got a couple of G5s. I mean, you know, it was pretty expensive, it, you know, and I didn't make it back. I mean, I did get an Emmy Award, which is, I'm happy about, but the record didn't do that well, only because I really think that. Uh, I think the songs were good, but our, you know, his vocals were just completely shot. So yeah, he he was like you said, he he was uh, he past losing, you know, his voice. I mean, Run DMC itself had been had been over for a long time. Uh, they had a little comeback in like 2001 where they tried it, and I mean, what what I do think is unique about that project is, you know. Red Run is also on it, and it's one of the last, you know, Run DMC tracks. You know, no, it is the last. They they didn't get it. that was it because because Red Run, you know, he's the record. He was like, this is it, and I and he only did that as a favor. He wasn't gonna get on it. And I said, man, I need you. And, and Steve Lobel did a, a lot of work for me, heavy lifting. I said, Steve, you put you give me this shit. I'm three million dollars in the hole. I need. I need Reverend Run. I need Run DMC on a phone. I need all of them. You know, Jam Master J died, and that was one of Steve's good friends. So, and but I did use a Jam Master J track, the one that says Jason Mizell on it. That's Jam Master J, and um, I think it's on Freaky Chick actually with Paris. And uh, and so yeah, I mean, you know, I did the record. I was kind of mad about it because I didn't know what kind of shape DMC was in, like vocally. And, I mean, he was healthy otherwise because he worked out at the gym and stuff, but our tour was very limited because he couldn't have, he couldn't handle it. We got to Canada, we went to Europe, Paris, his voice was gone. So I wow. was really mad. I was so mad. And I had Aerosmith on tour with me, and I had the cars, my rhythm guitar, and I was playing lead guitar, and I had Gary Durden singing all, the, you know, the, the Steven Tyler parts, which I have to tell you, Gary Durden yeah. fucked Steven Tyler up. And so, you know, like on it's unfortunate that, that it's it's unfortunate that uh, he he vocally wasn't there because, like you said, uh, at that time, physically, DMC was very fit. I mean, especially in comparison to like if, if you look at the condition like Run was in, 
compared to like DMC at that time. I mean, well, he DMC. had a top ten. DMC had a top ten nutrition book, and he was worked out. He was a huge shape. I mean, he had guns on him. The dude had a top ten, you know, bestseller uh, workout book, and but his voice didn't hold up. So I don't care what kind of shape your body's in. You could bench press the guitar player and the drummer at the same time. Your voice ain't working. Guess what? No more tour. So we cut it. I think it was Paris was our last one. And I had fucking got some G5s. I mean, I have, um, I own stock in a company called Best Jets because I used them in a movie I did called Pizza with Bullets. And, um, you know, because I, uh, you know, I advertised them and stuff and they gave me stock in the company. And I said, okay, so I can have my jets wherever I go. I just have to pay for the fuel. So that was cool. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I still got that. I mean, it's, you know, it is what it is. But I was upset that we couldn't continue because we were going all through Europe and coming back, and our last dates were at, like, Madison Square Garden. It was going to be huge. And his voice didn't. And I was so mad at Steve. I didn't talk to Steve Lobel. I didn't talk to him for, like, a year. I was like, Steve, I am negative $3 because of you. And he's like, man, it's the best shit you did. Shut up. You just won an Emmy. I was like, well, I guess you're right. It is Run DMC and Aerosmith and Motley yeah, it's amazing. I mean, again, your your career is is absolutely you know amazing when you look at Prince to Run DMC, everything in between. I I mean, everything in between. That's that's incredible to to be able to 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 say that you you have made and and someday will leave one hell of a legacy. Um, Two two more questions. Uh, oh, listen, I, as long as you want, I'm good. I'm actually chilling. I'm at the crib. My, I let my dog in. My wife is up in. I'm in L.A. She's in Washington at at our you know our ranch house up there. So I I got all night and so I'm good. I, I think over the years, and and maybe this is you know specific to Bone, but you know I I don't think so. I think with any entertainer, especially as we we've covered. Uh, you're involved with a lot. The less shit you're involved with, the, le- the less shit people will say. The more shit you're involved with, the more shit people will say. Are there any rumors about you know about you that that you want to address for the fans and, and clear up? Um, Hell yeah. I mean, you know, well the first the thing that bothered me the most is people don't usually talk shit about me on the internet, and the thing with the Sam Cooke thing that super super bothered me because. If you've been in the industry 25 years like me, somebody's going to talk shit. But I, I didn't have it. I actually, and it wasn't because a, a publicist or anything. It's just me. I had a publicist for a minute, but it's just me. And because I'm accessible, I, you know, people could actually email me and I'd call them. So if anybody had a question, I would just talk to them. And so I kept in good standing with all the Bone fans and the Bone members and because out of everybody I work with, besides Prince, because I lived with him early, that was early on. But the bone, bone is like my most. I mean, listen, I've worked with everybody from Beyonce to Kelly Rowland, Destiny's Child, you name it. I work with them. Aguilera. I mean, mm-hmm. I got plaques on the wall from everybody. But I kind of live with Bone Stuff, so they're my biggest, um, you know, sort of people that I did some. I mean, not just work, man. I lived with Crazy Bone in Miami, and, you know, I mean, those, those are my dudes. So I would have to know if somebody wants specific questions about something that 
maybe that doesn't that rub them the wrong way or something. And I try to be honest without giving away somebody's personal details, like, you know, Lazy Bone and his finances and Flesh and Bone and Crazy Bone and Wish and Bone. All their finances and their situations should be private to them. So I, I'll never talk about that to fans or anybody, actually. Um, but if somebody wants to know something about Bone and I know about it, which, let's face it, at this point, what don't I know, and, you know, being with him so long, or anybody. I mean, Unique is a great guy. A lot of people didn't like Unique for the years that we were doing Mothug stuff because they felt like he wasn't down with it. He was down with it. It's just, honestly, we didn't need him. You know what I mean? It's like, what are you going to do? And so, but he's a great guy. And, you know, listen, I'd love to do another record with him. Yeah, he really is. He really is that backbone of, of, of those productions. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I, you know, like I said, other than, than people having something to say on the Internet, which is nobody except for those people that have to do with the same Cook thing, I don't really have any enemies. And, I mean, um, I I get along great with all the Bone members. You know, there were times that they would all go in a different direction. And sometimes that bothered me or like, did you get pulled in certain directions? Like, cause you, well, you were so say, with them. Like, did and that's when, what when that happen? Yes. And, and that, um, strained relationships between me and lazy at times, me and crazy at times. And I try to let them all know that, um, fair, equal opportunity musician for whoever needs it, you know, that kind of thing. But if I went on tour, like when we did Thug Mentality 1999, we toured like for like a year or two after that. Just, and Lazy wasn't so happy about that because I wasn't spending any time with him or Mo Thug. It was all crazy. And even before that, me and Crazy Bone shared all the tour buses and everybody thought it was me and Crazy. And, and it was, but my heart is with Lazy Ball. I call him boss. Every time he's not, every time I talk to him, because uh, that's my dude. And um, and listen, to talk about Wish, I can't wait for a Wish Bone solo record. I'll be the first one lining up to play whatever they want to play on it. You know, listen, Busy Bone is a superstar. He's going to be a superstar forever. You know, rock star, whatever you call it. And Lazy Bone is the boss of everything has to do with Mo Thug or Bone Thug. He was the first one to me that was in charge. And Flash, I don't know, he's he's Flash is like the he's the bodyguard because he can't yeah. rap too. Flash is that Flash, Flash he's you know also that dude you do not wanna fuck with. You know, and I have to say so this story about with Flash, we were in I don't know where we were. This was last year. When we were filming some of the live stuff with Bone. I don't I forgot what city we were in. And Flesh was backstage, and he said, "Come on, bro, let's walk outside and talk." I was like, "All right, let's go." So you know, he's smoking on a on a you know blunt. But what is this shit? I was like, "Man, I'm just trying to make something for you guys." You know, it's like my my attempt to get you in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on your 25th year, which is actually 2018. That's the 25th year, but ain't nobody trying to hear it. <clears throat> so I'm <clears throat> pushing for 19. And he says, "So where's the paperwork?" I was like, oh, man, the lawyer for the production company at Silver Sale, 
he's got all the paperwork. Uh, well, I need to see it. I was like, all right, well, when we get back to L.A., let's go see it. And he did. Flesh is that cat. He showed up to the lawyer's office, which is a huge, you know, law firm in L.A., and he came. He was in Big Bear. Oh, he's doing everything. He's in Big Bear. He drove all the way to Hollywood, actually Beverly Hills, to the law firm. And me, Tanner, uh, Baird, and Tim Newfang, we met him there with the lawyers. And they talked about what they were then talking about. You know, he asked questions. We answered them. And then Tony B., who was kind of like Flesh and Bones manager right now, I think, he called me. Um, actually, I had a conference call recently with him and Rob, 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 Lazy Bones Rob. And, uh, yeah, I'm trying to get everybody on the same page because what they don't understand is things like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and movies and documentaries, they are not overnight. And whatever, you know, it's like as a promoter, you understand that. A promoter, they do a concert, they get paid. Well, when you're making a movie, it does not work like that at all. They all went to go see Straight Outta Compton, and they figured, like, oh, we doing that movie? That kind of thing, a movie, nigga, where's the money at? And that's what Flesh wants to know. You know, he wanted to know. It doesn't work like that. This is something that's going to take a couple, three years. Nobody, Lazy Bone understood it. So did Crazy Bone. Only because I told him that from the beginning. Um, you know, Busy Bone understood it too. Eventually, I had a little, me and Busy Bone was in my car. We were leaving dinner with the other filmmakers and we were in my Range Rover on our way to the studio, and I had to, like, break it down for them. And um, they don't, you know, they, they don't understand something that might help them in three years, or they might not fucking care. He's like, yeah, I need help now. He's like, well, this is, that's not how it works with a film. Anyway, do, do you think Flesh might have, you know, that mentality even a, a little bit more than the other guys because he... He didn't get that ruthless deal. He had to chase his deal down, and and then he, he, he lost, lost out everything. on a lot. He lost he out on a lot because of jail. Because he went to jail when we were doing a lot of most thug stuff, and you know even his solo record it did okay, but it didn't do that good. So you know the very first record he did, you know it got right. some light, but didn't get light like most thug got light. So. Um, so, yeah, he's still, even right now, he's on the come up. He needs to get it back. That's why when they tour right now, he'll be there because he wants to get that money. So, um, yeah, he's he's kind of hardcore about it. He wants, you know. He's been super hungry uh, since, since his release. Um, you know, you, you can tell how hungry Flesh and Bone is to uh, for Bone, for his brand, Um you know, he, he, you can tell that the guy is trying to make up for that, you know, that lost, you know, 10 years or eight years, whatever it was. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's worked his ass off the last eight years. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. always impressed. I'm, I, you know, I, I outright say he's not, he's not my favorite Bone member. Sometimes I love what he does. Sometimes he switches up his fucking sound and, and I, I can't deal with it. But I, I always respect, you know, Stack has hustle. I, I think he knows and the jail thing let him know like, hey, this can all go away tomorrow, motherfucker. Like, we got to get everything we can right now, every fucking day. No doubt. No doubt. And and I hope we can clear up the thing, why he didn't sign the deal 
initially with Bone Thugs and Harmony, he wasn't in the group. He was in L.A. on a basketball, possibly scholarship. Flesh is a wow. baller. Holy so, shit. Oh, yeah. He was in L.A. People have always questioned, because the, the story goes, uh, the story goes that Flesh and Bone was in L.A. Uh, he got the money for them all, and then he sent the bone and, and sent them out. But people always assume, you know, he, he was out there selling drugs. He didn't get his ruthless deal. Some people say, um, you know, he was in jail then, too. Some people say, oh, it's Flesh and Bone. He was high on shrimp. So you're saying it wasn't any of that shit. Flesh and Bone's no. out in L.A. because he's a baller. Big time. Uh, yeah, he was playing uh, basketball in college. And so, no, of course he went in and out of jail, but a lot of people did. But that ain't going to stop you from signing a record deal. I mean, you're more popular when you get out of jail to do a rap deal, you know, at that point. But it wasn't that at all. There's no sherm. There's none of that bullshit. The reality, people, you know, everybody has such vivid imaginations. The bottom line is he came to L.A. to, to ball. He's a major basketball, major athlete. I mean, you know, he's the tallest one. I mean, you know. I like that that, more. I I honestly, I like knowing that more about the guy, uh, you know, that he didn't miss out on his ruthless shit because of drugs or or jail. I I like knowing that he was already in L.A. with a plan. You know, it sounds like Flesh was going to be successful no matter fucking what. Like, he does sound like a really driven, hardworking guy. Yep, and, you know, it had nothing to do with germs or anything stupid like that. Nah, man, he just, he had a different, you know, direction. He was an athlete, a major athlete at that. And so, nah, man, he, you know, had nothing to do with none of that crap. He just uh, was doing his own thing. And then, well, at what point did he, did he say, hey, I'm going to be in this motherfucking Bone Thugs thing, man. I mean, this must have been after they'd already signed. and Yeah, well, he was always around, but he didn't want to sign a deal because he's a baller. If you sign with some company, you can't play. Go and play for a college. <laughs> you know. So he didn't sign because he was a baller, and Bone started blowing up. He's always around. You can see him around in photos and stuff, even with, uh, I think, that, that famous – Fungo with all the bone guys at a studio with Pac or Biggie. He's in, you know, he's around, but he had a different thing going on. I mean, by then, of course, he was in the group by then, but he didn't sign the initial contract. Didn't have nothing to do with drugs or sherm or some stupid shit like that. He was just busy. He was doing other things. He had a different thing going on in his life. He was a baller. I mean, a real baller. I mean, a lot of people wish they could play like him, to be honest with you. He's a real baller. I seen him play. This, this dude was slam dunking on. This, this dude was it was a dunking on niggas left, right, and center. And so yeah, he joined That's the amazing. team. Well, he always was kind of in the groove, but he he really got with them after you know because they had first of the month Douglas Rogers Bone. They started really like blowing the fuck up. And his brother Lazy was like, "Yeah, man, you need to come do this with us." He's, I mean, he's on creeping on a come up. I mean, even to the point that you got the picture of Bone, but then they put fleshes. And, and I think that's what also leads to people saying he must have been in jail. He wasn't there for that photo shoot. Because the creeping on a come up cover is, is odd. It's got the four members of Bone, and then you got this big picture of fucking flesh uh, in it. And, you know, he, he 
he's on some songs, he's not on some songs, almost like like you're saying he was there, but he wasn't really there. Um, so that's always been, you know, the mystery of, of that. Now, he, he did end up on Def Jam, and uh, that, that was a big deal, especially at that time. You know, Def Jam's kind of whatever now, but at that time... Def still... Jam was huge at the time. And by the yep. way, let's just jump really back to Archie Blaine and Two True, Jazz and Brina. They were signed to Def Jam. Uh, Lady Bone said, no, you need to come with us and do Mota. And they did. So, you know, I'm going to try to hook up you with Archie Blaine because he's got a lot, a lot of stuff to talk about. He was around way before I was. In fact, he helped do Bone Dugs and Harmonies, the demo that, you know, the one that gave the EZE. Yeah, yeah. Archie in, in his yeah. basement. So he's got a we, lot we, of stuff to say. We actually got uh, Archie lined up to, to come on. One of the big things that we talk about a lot on the show is, is the face of the death record. Uh, that they created before they were with Eazy-E. Archie had a lot to do with that. We actually just had on, uh, you know, some, one of the executive producers named Kay Chill, who, who grew up with Bone and, and told us a lot about Bone. And, uh, yeah, we are set to have Archie on. Uh, like I said, we're set to have Bobby on. I wanted to let you know, too, that everyone has been keeping track of our conversation because I've been posting about it. Everybody from DJ Unique to Archie to Bobby Jones, and I wanted to let you know that Mohart uh, just just shouted you out and, and said, yo, make, make sure to tell Romeo I said what's up. So that just happened on social media. Uh, yeah. My social media has really been buzzing with, with all these guys that you know that, um, that seem to be really excited just to, to know that That's you're doing great. That's great, man, because I love these guys. And Mo Thug is a family. And... Um, I'm a part of that family. So, you know, whoever hits you up, tell them during our interview. I said it's all love with all those guys. And, you know, I'll be in Cleveland in a couple of weeks, and I would love to see them. And, you know, I, some are doing better than others. And if I could help the other ones do better, um, it's not called a handout. It's a hand up. If I could help them do better, I will. Because, uh, and, you know, give Archie my love, man. I love Archie Blaine. And uh, Bobby as well. Bobby, and, and you'll you'll hear the conversation. Bobby's a much more slick conversation. He's very smart. Archie's a hood conversation. Not saying he's not smart, but he's a hood smart. But Archie's going to give you a lot more background than Bobby can all day. Um, I mean, I learned so much from Archie about not about music, but about Bone Thugs and Harmony. Because you got to remember, when I came in the studio, I didn't know who they were. So the person that schooled me up on him was Archie and Bobby. But Archie came up with them. Archie. Yeah. We we know that Archie well, literally recorded the very first, like, bone thug shit, you know, ever, and, before and, they even and, got to the and studio. Also, and also, he's going to say this, they were signed to him. Archie was the man. He had, he's, well, he was the only one that had the recording equipment. Um, so, and you know, let him tell that story because I don't really know it as well as he does, obviously. But the stuff that he told me, like early on, he's like, yeah, man, I did that first demo that got him. I was like, really? You know, back then I didn't really give a shit. I was like, oh, cool. You know, whatever. I guess, I don't know. But Archie is the one that got, um, too true with Def Jam. And he had a lot to do with getting flesh 
to talk to the right people. Archie knew a lot of people. I mean a lot of people. I'm talking from Andre 3000 to uh, what's his name? What's the kid at Def Jam, the guy who owns it, you know, the short guy with the glasses with the cap in his teeth that was married to Janet Jackson? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know who you're talking about. You know, um, the, the head, the, the guy that owns it. You know, his father was a huge executive. Uh, he was married to Janet Jackson. Um, it'll come to me in a second. But yeah, Archie, really knew, knew, I, mean, I can see. You know, knew, Archie knew everybody. Archie had to hook up with everybody. And um, do, do you know? And I'll, 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 I'll ask Archie this this question as well. But do you know what happened as far as uh, too true with Def Jam? Like, what, I assume that was prior to most. I know exactly or? what happened. Me and Archie talked about it two weeks ago when when we were talking about you know somebody called relativity. Oh, it was me. You know, we talked about that. He told me. We were on the phone for like three, four hours. I said, so if they was with Def Jam, well, what happened? He said, man, my nigga Lay said, bring him the Mo Thug. And I did. That's what, nothing big happened. They left Def Jam to go with Mo Thug because Lazy was his dude. That's solid. Yeah, that's real that's solid. solid. That's what happened. Because they were actually, actually, it's deeper than that. Um, they... Uh, come on, what's the guy's name? Um, with the gap in his teeth, a little short dude who runs Def Jam. He, you know, uh, he was married to Janet Jackson. It'll come to me. So Archie knew him really well, and he said, "Okay, I got two true." And he says, "All right, man. Well, I'm gonna put this first girl's record out, and then we'll do two true." Well, who was that girl? That girl was. Uh, what's her fucking name? Huge. I mean, became so huge. Everybody around this situation became so fucking huge. Uh, let me see here. Oh, my battery. Let me see. Uh, let me look up Def Jam. Uh, I'm trying to think of everybody that was married to, to Janet. Jan- I mean, James DeBarge, is that who you're... Nope. You'll know his name when I say it. You know, he was the guy at Def Jam. Uh, you know, Atlanta dude, he's from Atlanta. Uh, let's see. So their, their record was stalled at Def Jam. And so Archie said, well, let me out of the deal so I can go with my nigga's bone, the mo thug. And so he let him out the deal and they went to bone. So let me look it up here. Wow. That's crazy. It's crazy to think how uh, Two True's life may have been different if they would have, uh, you know, they may have released with with, with Def Jam. Uh, very know, different. And uh, very different. It's um, possible that, you know, they at that time they could have been bigger, but they could be in the same situation that they're in now, except, you know, Unknown. I, I will say the thing about being a Bone affiliate, even if you don't have a career right now, uh, you you have existence to a, a huge slice of fans. There, there's Bone fans right now uh, that I guarantee would put money down for a new Two True album um, right fucking now. Whereas there's there's people that were signed in the '90s to just you know just a label like Def Jam without that you were just signed. You weren't part of something bigger like Mo Thug. Uh, and, and there's a lot of those people that just don't fucking exist now. Uh, and, and they may have been bigger than some of those Mo Thug acts at that time, but 
once they fell off, they, they didn't have that, that backup. Uh, too true. Oh, oh here. Relevant, I, at least I in the bone Jer- I found it. Jermaine Dupree. I mean, how can I? Oh, oh okay. Yeah. So Jermaine Dupree is the head of Def Jam. He owned it. And so that's our yeah, he, he was with So So Deaf and everything when he was doing the So that's So right. Deaf thing. Yeah. He owned them all. So that was Archie's cat. And so he said, I need to put out the Trina record or one of the, you know, one of the social depth chicks, and then I'll do two true after it. But Archie said, well, shit, my nigga Lay, he asked, he's offering us a deal now. So they came to L.A. Instead of going to Atlanta, they came to L.A. to do the two true record. Archie will tell you all of that. I mean, Archie knows a lot of cats, man. You know, the sad thing about Archie is he's on a dialysis machine. And some very ugly things happened to him, you know, over the years. And um, uh, just not so fortunate. There was a huge lawsuit with No Thug's record. And, um, you know, that's why when Kaz says Lazy Bone signed Mo Thug's records over to Kaz, it's just so much horse shit. Mo Thug's record is bankrupt. There is no more multi-correct because it is negative quite a few millions of millions of dollars to Sony. It They filed bankruptcy in 1998 or 99. So, wow. I, th- I think that's a question people have had for so for so long, you know, why we never saw that multi-thug, you know, revival, why it became Harmony House. I mean, that makes perfect sense now why... At all well, well, crazy and lazy. They did the smart thing and they listened to their business managers and they said bankrupt it um, because everybody was wanting money, 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 money. And they said, okay, well, let's bankrupt. And they bankrupted it. So, uh, I mean, you know, it's on the books. And Archie Blaine actually has the actual documents because Archie Blaine was in court with them. So, yeah, talk to him about that. I mean, I can't really talk on it because I wasn't there, but Archie Blaine was. So, yeah, Motug's record went bankrupt. And it didn't go bankrupt. They bankrupted it on purpose. Um, you know, it was a good business move to bankrupt. So when Cass say, ah, oh, he signed it over me, Cass was fucking retired. I mean, I like Cass. I love him. He's smart. But that's just complete bull horse shit. And I'm not saying I don't like Cass. I do like Cass, but. When you say stuff like that, don't you know that people have computers and they could look it up? <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> but with, you know, with all the success that Bones had, I mean, we're we're talking, you know, over twenty years, we we fully established greatest rap group of all time. Is is there any one mistake that that you could pinpoint as like, you know, this this is the big mistake that held them back? Yeah. I can name a few of them. Um, I think the biggest one was not not pushing Mo Thug's records because had they pushed Mo Thug records, that they'd all be rich. Because Mo Thug records was so deep, and Archie can tell you about it too. So can Bobby Jones. Mo Thug records was so so much talent, and the talent may not have lied with poetic hospital but that record is awesome too true i mean there's so many people that are really cat cody soldier boy there's so many people that are so talented that came through the multi situation so that's one of the huge mistakes because they didn't have to rely on tamika they had their own label through sony 
so they didn't have to rely on her at all. And that, that's the reason why they actually did it, was so they didn't have to rely on Teak to make it at Ruthless. They could do their own thing. And they did it. And something happened, and it fell apart. And, well, all sorts of shit happened. That's the wow. biggest mistake, I think, them not moving forward. Because there wasn't really a CEO at the office in Cleveland. There wasn't really a business guy doing it. Now, at one point, Steve Bell said he was the guy, but he wasn't really the guy. Because if he was, he has a lot of shit that he did wrong. But he wasn't the guy, really. He wanted to be the guy. You know, Steve LaBelle wanted to run Mozart's records, but he wasn't. Um, it wasn't really anybody. It was lazy and crazy, and they're not businessmen. So you needed, like, that CEO nerd dude running shit, and they didn't have it. You know, because the, the best thing that that pretty much all the, the you know, bad boy Look at bad boys. Look at bad. There's Puffy, but who's right under Puffy? The accountant, the lawyer. They're all white boys killing it. Okay, uh, you know. And listen, I I don't like Puffy as you know a producer, but I like him as a entrepreneur and a businessman. He's totally the shit because he hired the right people. Everybody did. So Knight didn't. That's why he ended up in jail. And <laughs> listen, but Death Row beat every label out for five years. I mean every label, including Warner Brothers, including everybody. So when they said, hey, man, want to put aggravated assault out through death row, that was a no-brainer. I was like, all day, let's go. But then he went to jail (laughs) right after that. Yeah, death row, I mean, and, and, you know, I'm not, I don't want to get into a big death row conversation, but I will definitely agree 100% the row was, Again, the the '90s music, it, you know, it's it, hindsight is is worth everything. Um, but you know, the row was already, you know, level 100. And and when you think of what the row could have been if if business was managed better, Jesus, I mean, the row was incredible. Yeah, incredible. they had uh, Kenner. They had some great attorneys, but they were the the attorneys were you know, out for themselves, and they were draining them. And uh, yeah, Death Row yeah. was really that you, spot. You can and you then, definitely say that's where the Bone family, the labels, everything uh, is different because your story lines up with so many people that, that said, hey, you know, I had this opportunity, but I said, fuck that. I, you know, I stayed with Bone. That's where the family is, whereas you can't say that same thing about a lot of people on death row. There, there were people on, on death row that, you know, especially when, when things were not all good, that were like, I'm out of here. Yeah. There's a, yep. the, the green is, is, or the grass is green as fuck right over here. See ya. Uh, which, you know, you can't blame them. Death row was a, a pretty fucking crazy situation. What, I mean, by the time you were kind of dealing with death row, that was, that was way closer to the, the end of death row as the way we know it. Uh, Yep. Had it calmed yep. down, or was it still that eerie Suge Knight death row feeling when you were when you were doing well, well, I have to say that Suge Knight always treated me because I have a bunch of pictures with Suge, and he's always smiling and hugging me and pointing at me. Suge Knight used to call me the man because of the musicianship that I had, and so there was a time period where he liked me more than he liked Dr. Dre. So 
I never had a problem with Suge Knight. He never hung me out a window. He never did any stupid shit with me. The guy never threatened me. He never swung at me. There, never, every time I saw Suge, it was always wonderful. Um, so, but Suge Knight's a different kind of cat. You know, if you come at him hard in a ghetto way, he's going to treat you that way. And good luck, because he's probably going to win. But I never came at him like that. I always came at him like, hey, man, so... Here's this record, that record, this how much you owe me. Should pay me millions, man. And I never had a problem with him. He there's, a, uh, there's a claim out there, and I, I don't want to keep going back to, to Kaz, but there's a claim out there by Kaz that uh, that that Kaz was kind of hired to go, um, how, how can we say this, recover some Tupac masters and it is very much insinuated that that Kaz may have beat Suge Knight up, and that's how he took all these these Tupac uh, masters. Now, Kaz certifiably a, a gangster. I don't I don't think anybody can deny that. Suge Knight the same thing. Do, do you feel like from knowing both of these guys that that uh, that was possible that that Kaz ran up on Suge and and shook him down for these these masters? No, it not do I think. I, no, it didn't happen. Me and Kaz are very tight at, at a particular juncture, and it's probably during this time period. So, no, it didn't happen. And Suge Knight had killers on the payroll. And, in fact, I knew some of them because they were off-duty LAPD officers, the Rampart in particular. Kaz wouldn't stand a chance. So... In fact, Suge would beat Cass's ass by himself. Suge was a bad motherfucker. I seen him beat niggas up. So, no, that never happened. Why would Suge need Cass to collect uh, Tupac records? It, it, it was somebody time. else. It was somebody else, actually. Uh, I, I don't remember the whole interview. It's on YouTube. But uh, it was actually that somebody sent Cass to collect those masters from Suge. No, 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 no. Kaz, listen, and, and I'm going to say it slowly and as nice as I could say it. The majority of the stuff that you're hearing is complete horseshit. No, none of that happened. He, nobody would hire Kaz to go collect on nothing or go get back the masters. Because who the fuck is Kaz? Sure, he's a gangster. And, you know, he's got a lot of gang affiliates with the Bloods and the Crips or whichever one it is. So, yes, that is Kaz, and he's a bad motherfucker. I've seen Kaz knock niggas out on the spot. But you're not going to just knock out Suge Knight. You better shoot him. Because I've seen him get shot three or four times at that one club we was at, and he got up and walked away like it wasn't shit. That's Suge Knight. So Kaz ain't knocking him out, man. So I just hate when, you know, Kaz is Kaz's biggest promoter, which I think you have to be that if you're doing business. He is. He, Kaz is Kaz's big fan, biggest fan. But I know Kaz really well. And no, man, he wasn't in charge of nothing. Fair enough. Like that. that's, that's, a, that's, yeah. a, that's a fair answer. Um what, but on the fair thing. side, I'm not talking anything bad about Kaz. He's a good enough guy, and he's a good rapper, and I don't have anything bad to say about him. But as long as I've I, been around, I've been around a long time, I have never known Lacey Bone or anyone from Death Row or anyone from – or Super Saco. 
because they knew each other really well. I've never known anybody to ask Cass to go strong arm and get somebody's master's. That never happened. I mean, who's he going to strong arm? Shugnai? No. Shugnai got killers around him. No. So Cass could roll up talking about this, that, 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 cripping and that, and that, all that throwing up them signs, and that's where he would lay. You got to remember, you're talking about death row. Them niggas yeah. would lay you out. And their bodyguards were all cops, LAPD cops, Rampart Division at that. I'm gonna nice, I'm gonna nice. forward you the the link so when when we're done with the call you'll you'll have it in your box. Uh, so it, so just it, recently, Kaz, I saw I was looking at TV, and Kaz was on some fucking surgery shit where he was getting his chest because um, he was flabby, I guess, and he went to those guys on E the E channel. You know, the famous doctors that do all the plastic surgery. And I couldn't believe it. He, and I'm looking at him going, this tough-ass nigga. And I was like, nah. And I called him. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? He said, man, shit, I got I to gotta make my bread where I can make it. And I was like, okay, that's the play you're going at it. Because I know Cass really well. And I talk to him, no problem. But no, nah, man, Cass is not. Cass wanted all the most thug people and lazy, crazy, crazy, and crazy at the time of day. Neither is busy. Um, they don't get, they don't, lazy doesn't either, by the way. Because he's, it, to them, he was like hot air. Because uh, cause Cass came on too late to the scene. He wasn't one of the original most thugs, like during our heyday in the right. 90s, when we were turning out hits. Cass was yeah. in the 2000s. And the heyday was over, and the big money was over. So Cass used to hustle it up and try to get some records out. That's cool. Go on and do that. But who was buying the records? If you don't sell the records, where are you going to get money from? Right. Not. There you go. So that'll answer. And yes, he's a hustler, and he's good at this and that and the other, but. Yeah, I, you know, a lot, a lot of Bone fans, uh, you know, there's a lot of Bone fans that uh, they, they <laughs> some Bone fans don't even want me to have them on the show. Uh, I, I stay pretty impartial. There, there's probably not anybody else well, to have on the show. I think, I, think what you, I think what you should do, honestly, is have him on the show if you want. And in his line of questioning, you know, what you do is this. It's kind of like um, what I did with particular somebody. Uh, let's just say Steve in the documentary you ask them questions and let them answer them what you're doing is because people are going to check what you're doing is you're giving them an off rope to hang themselves with Cavs, go ahead and have them on your show ask them questions let him answer them if they're not true people are going to call they can't they can't do like me they can't say oh romeo's full shit he was he didn't do it really Call me up, meet me somewhere. I'll show you. It's different because I'm really the cat. I was with Mo Thug from day one. I played on all that shit. What are you gonna say, Cavs? You know, like Cavs, were you and Mo Thug? The moment he says yes, I'll say, show me the contract because I know he wasn't. By the time Cavs came, Mo Thug was already bankrupt. They, it, the the company was dissolved legally dissolved. There was no Mo Thug. So when he says Lacey gave it to him, there's nothing to sign over to him. 
except for debt. So, so it's just not true. And Kaz is on a lot of records because he's strong-armed. What he did was when Mo Thug or the Mo Thug or Lazy or something, when they'd leave, he would make the engineers record him. That's called strong-arming and getting it in. And then he'll say, make me, make me a tape of it right now or a CD, a DVD, whatever, a DVD. And he would take that, bootleg it, and put it out. But you're not yeah, getting paid for that. A lot of bootlegs you know? out there. I mean, but, but you're not getting paid for that, and that's a big problem. Right. Well, it's not a problem if, if you don't care about money, but Kaz did. So if you bootleg it, who's paying you? Bootlegs are free. Am I correct? He, he sold yeah. a lot of them. In fact, if you, if you look, uh, Kaz, even at this moment, has, I would say, in the upwards to 30 to 40 releases uh, under the Mothug's label. But, I mean, ridiculous shit. You know, he, he claims to have masters, everything from Tupac to the Yin Yang Twins, Nipsey Hustle, of course, Bone Thugs and Harmony. And he's released all that shit as uh, as Mo Thugs. And, and you can find it all online right now on okay, on Amazon. So let me, let me, so a common sense question, if there is no Mo Thugs record, who's paying cash for those records? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're independent. He's, he's definitely releasing them probably, I would assume, through something like CD Baby or, or something like that. Right. And people don't really pay for that. I mean, listen, I released Graveyard Ship. I printed I did all that stuff. You know, a, a lot of people paid for it. But the reality is right now, uh, or over, I'd say over the past five to eight to ten years, people download music for free. You don't have to pay for it. So who's paying for his records? Yeah. The fact, hey, it's, it's an absolute fact. Um, you know, I, I think uh, he's probably got an amazing story like everybody else, but I do look forward to asking him some of the tough questions that I, I don't, I don't think uh, people get asked. That's, that's what I do on my show. So you notice we've had a little more unique questions. Um, oh yeah. And and I think I, I'll definitely be asking him, him to run for his money and he'll ask him the right questions, but will you get the right answers? But, you don't care. Your job as an interviewer is to ask the right question. Whatever he answers is what he answers, right? And so uh, your job is to ask the questions. He's going to answer them. Let the people decide if he's full of shit or not. I mean, you know, I, I like That's it. why I make, sure to, uh, I make sure to ask guests like yourself, you know, a little bit about everything, and, and it leaves the fans being able to compare after they heard Romeo's interview, after they hear so-and-so's interview, you know, and then you hear this one, you're able to compare, hey, this is what Romeo said, this is what so-and-so said, this is what Kaz said. Um, and, and it really lets people decide for themselves. But up until our show, you know, and, and this is why I'm doing this, Romeo, I'm a, I'm a huge Bone fan. I want to believe everything Bone says, but let me tell you, I don't remember some shit that I did last week. It's, it's unfair for Bone fans to believe that that these guys remember every fucking detail of a 25-year, you know, career. Uh, so, so I felt it was important to interview everyone, and you got to get all those stories. Your story, Kaz's story, the, the Mothug that was only there for 10 minutes, the Mothug that was there till the end, Ken Dog, all those stories add up to this. And, and again, it's everything we've said. If this was Wu-Tang, if this was whoever... I wouldn't give a fuck. 
phone has a special thing. It has unique members that that go the, the whole way. Again, the guy that was there for 10 minutes, the guy that's been there for 23 years. Um, I do just want to say, too, I, I see DJ Unique giving a, a big shout-out to Romeo uh, on my page. He said, hey, Romeo is the real deal. He's a real solid cat who's been down with the camp for years, helping the bone movement. Thug love to Romeo. Oh, that's nice, man. You know, give him, you know, hand him back with my love. But he knows I love him. So, and that's the thing, man. You, you can put me on the air. You can put me on your website. You're not going to have a lot of people talk shit about me because at the end of the day, I don't know. I don't care enough to talk shit. It's almost like if I say it, it's pretty much gospel because I don't have anything to gain either way. I'm not trying to be a star. I already did that. So I'm making movies now in my life. And so I don't have, you know, and that's the thing. When you interview people, you have to see what, what, they're, what they're trying to gain from it. What I'm gaining from this is, I, I, it's, you know, over the past few weeks, you and I have been going back and forth. You seem like a really solid cat that's honest. And so what I gain from this is I want my guys in Bone Thugs and Harmony and Mo Thug, I want people to understand what really happened in every sort of, everything that we talk about in every part of their life. Because a lot of people talk and don't know. So I really want people to know the reality of things. I would love for people to hit you back and ask you questions and you hit me back and I do another interview. I want people to know the truth. And I do have the truth because I've been there for a long time. And if Kaz gets on the air and he's trying to just promote himself, you got to think about that. What's he doing? He's trying to promote himself. I'm not trying to promote myself. I didn't ask you for anything. <laughs> you know, listen, I'm making movies. And if somebody asked me to make a record, lazy or crazy, or somebody, or go out, and, well, I won't make, you know, I have Lazy's rock album. I'm holding on to it. And I'm going to go out this summer, do some shows with him, and promote Welcome to the Jungle and, you know, some songs like that and uh, to get people, you know, and then I'll release it after people know what it is and we go out and we electrify an audience doing that shit. It's lights out when the cast get dropped. You know, I mean, we're going to go out and do that shit and then I'll release it. But I'm not going to release something so it can be out there with all the rest of the garbage. Nah, not going to happen. And Lazy knows it, and I tell him, why don't we do that? Why don't we put that rock record up? Nah, the time ain't right, Lazy. And I love Lazy, but if he asks me to put some shit out and it ain't the time not right, I can say no because I'm holding all the masters. And I'm not talking shit like Kaz. I was there from day one. <laughs> and, you know. Romeo, we, we've done unbelievably, the without question, the, the longest interview that I've, I've done on the show. We're right now, we're eight hours. Uh, so much gold is covered, and, and with a 23-year career with Bone Thugs, I'm sure that we have so many more of these in the future. But tonight, I got one more question that I'm going to throw at you, and I, and I feel like that it's an important one. Uh, there was a period of time where you were not connected with Bone. Um, yes. Can, can you tell us about that time, why that happened, you know, the distance, and, and what it was that brought you back, you know, to this camp, to this family? Well, I was always connected to them, but there was a time period where I sort of went away because I started doing movies. I started writing, 
you know, I met Jerry Buckheimer, and he introduced me to, well, not introduced me, but he sort of sent me to see Anthony Zyker, who created all the CSIs. And I started doing soundtracks, and I started actually working with Anthony Zyker, writing and, you know, doing shows for, you know, CSI, NCIS. So CBS uh, wanted us to write a spinoff for LL Cool J. It's supposed to be CSI LA. And um, Anthony Zyker ended up going to ABC after, right after we finished it. So they made it a spinoff of NCIS, which is NCIS LA, which is where LL Cool J currently is on TV, NCIS LA. So I started doing a lot of that. TV stuff and movie stuff and you know like I said Lazy's always in my heart because you know I was doing a movie in 04, 05, no rules about the UFC and who did I call? I can call anybody I want. Everybody wants to be in a movie. I called Lazy Bone and I said yo man you need to come out and be in this movie and he did and so I didn't really go away from them like fuck you guys I'm gone I just had to go work and do other things because I was moving on to something else in my life. I mean, I had pretty much conquered music, and I wanted to go and do films and TV, and I did. So, But those guys were always one phone call away. Lazy Bone would come to the film studio and get in a movie or something like that, and Crazy Bone would too. So that's, that's really it. I didn't, I didn't really move away from them. Now, after... T-Rock, Tombstone got killed, I was very bitter, but I was still around for, I don't know, three to five more years after that, and then I sort of had to move on. It had a lot to do with, you know, I have a family, and I have properties, and if, you know, after Napster came, and I wasn't getting paid like I was, you know, in the early 90s, I was getting 100000 a song. Uh, and I would wow. do five and eight. So, yeah, it was crazy. Oh, sure. yeah, it was and crazy. so Napster came along and, and the downloads, and they hadn't perfected that system. It's pretty good now, you know, but they hadn't perfected it. So I was like, all right. And I know a lot of people, and people like me. And they were like, well, why don't you – I'm going to introduce you to this guy. You can do soundtracks on this movie and da-da-da-da. And uh, so I started doing that. And then uh, I started actually working in TV and film. And kind of never looked back. I mean, I still, Lazy Bones always there, Crazy Bones there. And like I said, now I want to do something for them. I want to try to get them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And like, I've been on this campaign for three years. I'll be on it for another three until I get them in. And that's who I am. I'm just going to make it happen until they get in. Then once they get in and I'm the one uh, at the induction ceremony telling my story of how, I'm a rock and roll like all you rock and roller Hall of Fame guys. But when I saw these three dudes sing in front of me and rap, I had to I had to go with them. Because I didn't like rap until I met them. I'm going to tell that story in front of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and on TV. I'm going to tell them, here they are, Bone Thugs and Harmony. And they're going to come up and get inducted and we're going to play some songs. That's going to happen. I mean, because I am a very determined person. It's going to happen. I'm telling you right now. It's gonna. I'm gonna bug the, the the Hall of Fame so bad that they're gonna just say, okay, we gotta just put these guys in. Or these guys not gonna leave us alone. And that's what's gonna happen. I mean, you know, I like I said, I'm pretty determined. 
And as soon as I take my bar, my California State bar, I'll be certified lawyer. I'm in kind of a lawyer now, but I have to take the bar. I'm going to take it. And I've got all the credits, and I went to school and all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah. Just so the listeners know, very, very few, you know, rappers are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, it is a not, limited well, class. NWA and Run DMC, that's it. Run but DMC. Beastie NWA. Boys are in there. I, I believe Public Enemies in there. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about those guys. Yeah, they're in. Tupac, yeah, Tupac recently got put in. When it comes to, like, uh, like street, I mean, Bone Thugs is some street niggas. Let's just call it what it is, like NWA. Once NWA went in, I knew I could get Bone in at that point. So NWA, Bone Thugs and Harmony is a direct descendant of NWA. It, so that's when I thought to myself, I could get my dudes in. Because I'm a, you know, I'm a run on the easy ticket as much as I can, and Dr. Dre and Ice Cube. Because, listen, Bone Thugs and Harmony is a direct a descendant, and they we're trying to the define a rock star. What it is to be a rock star, Romeo? Can can you think of? I, I mean, even even the even the acts that I just named. Can we think of anybody that defines what it is to be a rock star? the way that Bone Thugs and Harmony does in, in rap. Well, and this is Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the idea. And, you know, Gene Simmons from KISS said, why are we letting rappers in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? They're not letting us on the BET Awards. And I'll tell you why. And, you know, I know Gene Simmons. Um, him and Paul Stanley managed me. I was in a band <laughs> that they used to manage back in the day. I, man, I, I, I know so many of these fucking people. I've been around quite a bit. The answer is this. Can you rap Gene Simmons for Paul Stanley from Kiss? No, then shut the fuck up. Can Busy Bone be a rock star? Yes, he can. Without a doubt. A rock star is this. A rock star is a guy like Lazy Bone or Busy Bone. Crazy Bone is not so much a rock star. He's a rock star uh, because he's the most talented guy in the rap world ever, I think. But Busy Bone's a rock star because a rock star is a guy that it's an attitude. It's a disposition. They're great at what they do. They can walk on the stage, and the fans are going to go absolutely ape shit. That, my friend, is Busy Bone, and he is going to run around that stage and rock that motherfucking stage. Now. He doesn't need a guitar in his hand because his dude, Romeo Antonio, got the guitar in his hand. Every rock guy that's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has a rock band behind him. Well, guess what? So does Bone. As soon as they call me, they do. So what's a rock star? A rock star is a disposition of a musician that steps on the stage and motherfuckers lose their mind. I have been over the past 20 years on stages with Bone Thugs and Harmony, and yes, people lose their mind. So when Gene Simmons says, can we be on BET and get the BET award? Nope, because you don't know a motherfucking thing about hip-hop. Well, how do they know a motherfucking thing about rock? Well, let me show you. Where should we show up? And that's my answer for everybody. I'm not the take my word for it, dude. I'm like, give me a motherfucking address, (laughs) and we'll show up. I'll call lazy, I'll call crazy, I'll call busy, I'll call flesh. And they don't all have to show up. I just need one of them. 
and then I'll show you what a rock star is. Because let me tell you, Busy is a rock star if there never was a rock star. That dude, his presence on stage, he commands the audience. Steven Tyler. Steven Tyler. Listen, okay, let's back up. Steven Tyler. So we're doing Live Aid. I did Live Aid, right? With Errol Smith, Run DMC at all. Yeah, right? Gary Durden blew Steven Tyler off the map singing machine gun and walked his way. So Steven Tyler, yes, he's a rock star. Absolutely. I can tell you this. Give Busy Bone a microphone. Give Steven Tyler a microphone. Give me a rock band, a rock band behind him. I don't give a fuck who it is, whether it's Errol Smith or Motley Crue. Steven Tyler will have his hands full trying to fuck with Busy Bone. Anybody will. If you've ever seen Busy Bone live when he's hot and on, dude, I don't think anybody can fuck with him, to be honest with you. I've seen him command a stage and run from side to side and dance and run and rap and sing. He's a rock star. So the person that tells me they can't be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I'll say, give me an address and we'll be there. And you come tell us that after we finish doing a couple numbers. You know, I um, something that John and I have talked about in, in terms of Busy because, you know, John spent a few days with Busy while he, he was recently doing a video out in L.A. Um, and, I, you know, I told you my, my story about, you know, Busy. And there's certain people that when they're in the room, you can feel the greatness. The greatness is so heavy around them that, that it, they can't carry it all, and it pushes off of them, and you almost get a little bit of it just, just dusted onto you because, because yes. they have so much. And and when I was with Busy, it, it sounds yes. crazy to say, but I literally felt like a a a, a bigger deal, like I could achieve more. Uh, he he gives off such a vibe that that is just like. No mercy, motherfucker. And you see it in this guy's eyes. When he, when he talks to you, and, and, and here's what I didn't tell you. I, I was going to say, this is what I didn't tell you about our story. Um, just, just to bring listeners up, uh, you know, I, I my whole life wanted to uh, just, just meet Bone Thugs and Harmony. Uh, I was a big fan. My, my grandmother used to, you know, bring me to buy Bone Thugs records. She, she knew what Bone Thugs was, not because she knew it, but because she's like, oh, those are the ones that are fast and I can't really understand. But she knew what Bone was because of right. that. Uh, years and years later, I end up doing a song with Busy Bone. Um, I, I, I talk Busy into doing it live with us uh, as a one-off thing. He, he almost wasn't going to do it. And I was like, look, man. And, and I told him the whole situation. I was like, I, I just, I really need you to do this, man. And he's like, oh, you know, I, I, I'm not good at, at, at the songs and remembering them, you know, unless it's something I do. And he's like, do you got the song? And, and we're out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Were uh, you guys in Maine? No, we're no, in Maine. No, and, and we're in nowhere, Maine. Um, and, I, and I'm trying to get service to bring the song up so he can review it. And I watched Busy Romeo go into the state, and, and, it, and it was crazy. It was like, he's like almost eye-rolling, and you can see he's like rolling through this Rolodex in his mind almost. And he's just like, 
humming, humming little hums, and, and you can see he's trying to find and, and I get the song up, and as I get it up, he just waves me off like, nah, nah, I got this. And, and he looks at me and he goes, hey, I got yeah. you. And yeah. Dizzy walked out on stage, my, my 91-year-old grandmother who saw everyone from Elvis Presley to the Rat Pack to, to the Rolling Stones, um, and, and her 91 years, but the last show that she saw was uh, her grandson and Dizzy Bone. And I, I have an uh, enormous debt to that man for that moment. And, and it was a small moment for him, but I'll tell you, watching him be able to go through his mind and find that song and commit to that for me and then going out and do that, uh, it told me everything I need to know about that guy. That guy could have looked at me and said, nah, fuck you, man. And, and that would have been that. I would have had to take that on the chin. Um, That's right. That moment told me everything I had to know about that guy, that he, he's a genuine good dude. And people forget that about you guys as artists, that, that you're regular fucking people. You deal with regular shit. And, and like a regular motherfucker, he could have gone, you got extra bread for me, blood? Because if not, I ain't doing shit for you. But, uh, but he did it, man. And, and you know, I, I think that tells you everything you got to know about about busy going. No doubt. And I'm with you on that same page. He is a good, it's a class act, man. He could have said fuck you, but he didn't. Absolutely. And, Especially with a layoff. I've, I've been told that that's commonly like, you know, he, he just doesn't, unless it's a song that he's regularly doing, he doesn't fuck with that because he doesn't want to run the risk of looking uh, stupid on stage by forgetting shit. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, He's really the one to tell you to fuck off quick. Now, Lazy Bone will work with you a lot. Now, Busy Bone is a rock star. So, so for him to do that, that says a lot, man. I have to tell you, that's a lot. He, he understood the situation. Um, I, I, I've been I've been blessed to, uh, and, and this is why I told you, Romeo, that everyone's story, right, right down to my little five minutes uh, with him, you know, all, all the stories matter because they, they tell you something. Uh, hopefully my story just now told somebody something that they didn't know or, or understand about these guys. Um, so, so all of it matters. Uh, I truly appreciate, I, I cannot believe, you know, we've done this for eight hours and 22 minutes. Uh, I truly appreciate all your time. And you, and you know what? We're going to do it some more because you are genuine. You have a great heart. And you're not doing this for any other reason other than other than you actually love these guys and you want oh, yeah. good stuff to, and you want good stuff to happen to them, and this is the best way to do it by drawing attention to it. These guys oh. should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In fact, this campaign that I'm doing, I'm going to get you involved in it because they have to get in there, and I'm not going to stop till I get them in there, and that's just how it is. I, I can tell you that for our channel, John, the co-host, he has a much larger channel on YouTube uh, with, with thousands of subscribers, and, and his shit's monetized. He makes money every time a video plays. We was, he, started was, he on the phone, and, was he on the phone with us earlier? Yeah, he was on the phone with us earlier. He, he had to cut out uh, partway through. But when we started this, we, we talked about possibly starting it on his channel because, hey, we'll, we'll make money when the videos are played. And I said, hey, we need to start yeah. this from the ground up. So, so we know what people think. So 
I, I can promise you it's, it's a million percent genuine because every second that I put into this, uh, our, our videos are not even eligible to be monetized. We make no money off of this. In fact, I, ha I have a, a ton of money dumped into this, and I do it for, for, for the love of it. I, I love the story, and I will say that in terms of Bohm, the only thing that they've lacked over the last you know, 25 years is somebody to organize and, and just historically collect these facts. And Absolutely. I, I was like, fact, you know you what? Know what? You step fact, you up know, and do the this. filmmakers that I'm working with, that was the one thing that they said, too. They said, how are they this huge and this great and no one has been keeping up with their shit and collecting all that shit? And I said, man, I don't know. To me, it falls on the manager, Steve Lobel, uh, but I don't want to say that because me and Steve will get in another fist fight, you know. <laughs> um, but nobody has been doing it. Yeah, it, it, it needed to be done, and and that's a big reason why we did this. We said, hey, there's 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 more that needs to be told. It, it's got to be there. It's got to be solidified, you know, forever. Bone story is there forever, bro. Um, you know, if bone stops tomorrow, their story is there forever. But I, you know, in my mind, I said, hey, too true, soldier boy, poetic hustlers, Kaz, who who the fuck ever. I said, all these things need to be you know, solidified. And, and Bone did a lot for me girl. in my life. That's my girl, Sus Queen, by the way. She's awesome. You need to talk to her. <laughs> she, she's set to come on the show. <laughs> yeah. That's my girl. When you talk to her, tell Romeo loves her. She, I'm waiting to marry her. That's my girl. <laughs> we've, mm. we've heard that from from more than one person that was connected to, to MoFo. She, she is the best. She's salt of the earth, my friend. And um, Crazy Bone kind of adopted her like a little sister, man. Crazy Bone loves Sus Queen. Everybody loves Sus Queen, man. She's just good as people. My my understanding is, uh, I, I guess even though she's not technically with you know the life or anything, my understanding is it's still you know really good blood there, and and she still comes around Bone, and and people still really like her. Well, they all love her, whether it's Crazy Bone with the life or Lazy with Mosas. Everybody likes Thug Queen. I mean, all, every one of them. She is beloved. That's why she's Thug Queen. <laughs> she's the thing. She's the queen of the thugs. Everybody loves her, man. Make sure you tell her Romeo loves her. He loves her. I love that. Yeah. Thug Queen is my girl. You know, we stay in touch, so she's, I love Thug Queen, man. Her her disposition is so awesome. When we were doing Ghetto Cowboy, like shooting the actual short film, she was the best. She didn't complain once. We we shot for like four days, man, and she never complained. She was always on point. Down for whatever. Let's ride. Let's ride. She's just the shit. I love stuff. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask, and every, huh? every time I'm about to, to wrap this up, I think of something else I want to ask you. Um no, did, did you ever have any involvement, or do, do you remember Bruce Hathcock? He, he worked a lot with DJ Unique and, and did songs with Bone and sang. Uh, did you yeah, ever have yeah, any yeah. I, I know, I know, I know who Bruce is. Yeah. I thought I thought Bruce was a great talent. Bruce is going to come on the show too, and uh, you know Bruce Bruce got involved with with Bone at a really weird time where kind of Bone was in a like a dip, and and DJ Unique had a website, and he was really putting out like a lot of bone projects and uh he, he started like bone thug records for a minute 
And that's when yeah. Bruce was around. And and I've always thought it was unfortunate that Bruce came in during kind of that, that dip because if yeah, Bruce would have yeah, come in at the right time. Yeah, he came in during that dip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, he he's a great talent. So I, I look forward to, to speaking with him. I look forward to speaking to Thug Queen. And, and I, I got to tell you too, man, that I, I think that your – your interview and so many affiliates seeing you on this show has now made it okay for them to come on. I, I think a lot of people were not sure what we were doing over here. Um, so I, I think that you coming on really stamped this for a lot of, a lot of people. Uh, no so, doubt. So I, well, I appreciate you coming on. Be, no doubt. Well, you're definitely going to get DJ unique. That's my cat. I mean, you said he wrote something in saying I was the cat. So, He's gonna, he's gonna he, come he's on tough now. He, they he's a tough come one to get. Now all you gotta do is hit him up, tell him that Romeo did five hours or whatever with you, and they're gonna be like, "Oh, for real? Okay, well let's go." <laughs> I mean, because you know, listen, like I said, I try to keep it real. I try to tell the truth and just keep it real, and, and they all know that. At the end of the day, I was the guy who was like. Oh, really? You get down? Well, let's go. And I would just hit a piano lick or a guitar lick. I'd be, Come on, let's, let's get with it. And so that's just the real cat. And that's who I've been to, everybody in the Bone Thug world forever. And like I said, I, I, I don't know if anybody hates me, but I doubt it because I don't give them a reason to. The reality is I wasn't in it for the money. You got to remember, when I left Prince, I was already set. Madonna? Madonna was paying me ten grand a week just to, I mean, you know what I'm saying. I mean, Michael Jackson. I was getting like ten or fifteen thousand a week. So, by the time I got with Bone, I had a high rise. I mean, no, I was already set. So, I never did it for money. I did it because they, they, I, they taught me something. They made me turn my head and say, I guess rap is not bad. Because I hated rap. I said, you know, Bone Thugs and Harmony turned it around and made me actually love hip hop because of the way they do. A phrase that is used very common among Bone Thugs fans, Romeo, and it is Bone Thugs changed my life. And I think that is something that. Whether you're you're myself and you're a fan, or you're Romeo Antonio and you've worked with you know Madonna the Bone, that that is a saying that I think fits everyone. Bone Thugs changed my life. They changed. They did. They changed my life because they made me understand something that I was so negative on. I was very negative on rap, and then they came along and showed me something, and they weren't actually trying to show me anything. They were just being them, and I couldn't believe it. Like, yeah. these dudes are doing three-part harmonies, and they, and they don't even know they're doing it, and they don't care. That's the other thing about it. They have such a nonchalant attitude. I mean, they knew who I was. They knew I came from Prince and everybody, and Michael Jack, you know, everybody. They didn't give a fuck. They started doing what they do not caring if I liked it or not. And I love that even more. They didn't try. They weren't trying to impress me. They weren't they were just doing what they do. I was like, Wow, these cats are the real I remember telling Unique that. I was like, Hey man, uh, these are the real motherfuckers, right? He said, Oh hell yeah, these dumb niggas. I was like, I didn't even know. He said, Well now you do. 
And that was, I'll never forget, he said, well, now you know. I was like, no, shit. That's why, you know, I have so much respect for him and he with me because I was honest. A lot of people will say, oh, I knew they was going to blow up, or, oh, I knew hip-hop would be big. No, I told the truth. Oh, I didn't know it was going to be big, and to be honest with you, I thought this shit would be over in about three or four months. As a matter of fact, this is a really cool story. When I was doing my invoices, I actually went to Steve O'Bell, and I was like, hey, uh, Steve, y'all, can you have um, relatively hurry up and pay my invoices? And he's like, why? I said, because I don't think this rap shit is going to work, to be honest with you, dog. And he laughed in my face. He really did. <laughs> he said, you don't think rap is going to be around? I was like, hell no, niggas. In fact, after you pay my next three or four invoices, I'm probably going to go on tour with somebody else because I don't think they're going to be around. And I said it, and I admit that I said it. And listen, I'm wrong. I'm 100% wrong. But it takes a real man that can admit when they're wrong. And I am a very serious musician, and I'm telling the world. And I'm going to tell the world when I'm standing up at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that I was wrong, and I am wrong. You probably couldn't be more happy to be wrong about something than to be wrong about that. Well, that's right. And I was completely... 100% 100% wrong. These guys were here to stay, and they taught me something. And uh, and being on tour with them, because, you know, we went down to the south, and they introduced me to Andre 3000 and, and uh, Big Boy from that group. We was down in the south, and Lazy Bone took me to underground club, like somewhere outside of Atlanta. And I was like, where are we going, dog? Come on, nigga, let's go. I'm going to show you. And he took me to an underground club, and they were Andre 3000. He he was in there with, you know, with almost like a setup, like a band, like a rock band of sorts. Yeah. Let me Oh, And I said, um, who the fuck is this, Lay? Where are you bringing me? Nigga, these are my nigga outcasts. I was like, and I had never heard of them either. And we were there for hours, and it was like 5 in the morning when we came out. It was like an underground speakeasy type joint because everybody was still drinking, and you you can't drink after two, but and smoking and everything else. And I could not believe what I saw. And I don't know whether it was a rock show or it was rock and rap, and, you know, it was everything. And it was outcast, and I didn't know who they were. So I said, crazy, who the fuck is this? Oh, nigga, I thought you might like these niggas. They kind of like you. Them niggas play guitar and things. And the way Lazy would say things, I would just laugh anyway, right? He's from Cleveland, but he sounds very Southern. And, yeah, we was like, and then we were in another space in Alabama, Mobile, Alabama, and he took me to another spot. That was the other thing. Lazy would always take me places and, I have to just say they really changed my life. They showed me something different. I became the biggest Outkast fan on the planet after that night. I was like, what they call Outkast? Okay. And then the record came out. I was like, what? Lazy, you know these guys? Oh, yeah, these my niggas. I was like, all right. I don't know, man. They really changed. Yeah, they changed me in a good way. Yeah. You know, Outkast is one of those one of those legendary acts. I mean, shit. (laughs) 
but definitely, but Lazy knew the cat, and he, I mean, everywhere Lazy knew, he knew everybody, and so he would take me with him, and Crazy would take me with him, and I don't know, man, it was just a different world, and um, man, in so many different ways, I, you know, just going through the South with those guys, and Nashville, and Ah, oh, man, good times. I have to tell you that. I'll never forget it. And it changed my life. It made me look at music a different way. It really did. The drums or the, the drum machine and the drums and the beat became a bigger part of my production at that point. Because usually you just do a 4-4 drum track and as, you know, the pop or a rock thing, get your chords around it, sing the motherfucker. I started seeing how... Because drums, you know, and the drum machine is such a huge part of hip-hop. I mean, it's huge to make a beat. I mean, it's easy easy enough to make a beat, but you got to make a beat that people like. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know, man. It just changed a lot of things with me, man. I, I have to say that they, they turned me on to a lot of things. And I'll never forget, and I'll never forget what they did for me. Because I felt like I was a much more rounded musician, even as a rock guitar player or a drummer or a piano player a bass player, much more rounded after my years. I'd say after two, I'd say after three years with Bone Thug, I was I was a very different person, musically. Romeo, it's been a, a, a huge, a huge interview. I, I want to thank you so much for, for being what, what I consider at this point the, the greatest uh, the greatest guest that I've had on Beyond the Harmony. Um, I, I truly hope that, that you make your return to, to the show um, and because I, I feel like with as much as we've talked, we've just, we've just scratched the surface. Uh, anybody listening, you know, Romeo is very easy to reach. You, you can find Romeo on Facebook. Um, you can also, I, I, I believe he's still RomeoAntonio.com. He's on Wikipedia. He's on IMDb. Uh, you know, re- reach out and uh you know talk to him and 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 i hope to have you back on here man i I really hope that you will uh make the return uh if if it's not something that we do soon it's at least got to be you know post uh sons of sinclair at least the first one we can talk about that and uh and hopefully we we end up having a rock and roll hall of fame celebration episode Listen, I would love to come back. This has been a pleasure for me because it gave me a chance to take a walk down memory lane and a good memory lane, you know. So it made me feel great. And you asked some very interesting and great questions. So listen, I'll come back whenever you like, and you can hit me up whenever you want. And, um, you know, either on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, or just call me and you have some questions about something or even some of the other guests on. If they can't get it straight, what happens? You might say, hey, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bring Romeo in on the call. They'll probably act different because they know that I know the truth. The reality is you can call me anytime, and I love to talk to you anytime. You're a great interviewer. You're a great person. I appreciate what you're doing for my boys, Bone Thugs and Mo Thugs, because I love them. And so, yeah, man, anytime. Let's do it again, as a matter of fact. You know, give you some time with the other guys and, Maybe you want to come back and wrap it up with me on some more interviews. I'm there for you anytime.
That's awesome. Thank, thank you so much, man. One, one more time, Romeo and Antonio, uh, make sure you all check them out on social media, and, and we're going to be keeping a, a close eye on everything that you do from here, man. I, I, I hope you have a great rest of your evening. Great. Thank you. You have a good night, and I'll talk to you in the next day or so. Thank you, man. Have a good night. Thanks, brother. Guys, one more time, that was Romeo Antonio. It, it was without question. The interview blew my fucking mind. Um, everything that the guy had to say, everything that, you know, he, he told me, um, and, and and more than, I, I got to tell you, this one for me was more than just, I, I love when we find out those juicy tidbits of bone stuff that we, we didn't know about. That's always fun. Um, but I really enjoyed just hearing his whole story. I mean, even the stuff, the, the Sam Cooke stuff, the, the Run DMC stuff, um, he, he's got a, an interesting life. It's amazing to hear the impact that he's had on music. Um, the, you know, not again, not just the impact that he had on Bone, the impact that he had on music is incredible. Uh, it, it was a real blessing to be able to talk to him. So, and, and this interview is going to be cut up in, in so much. So you're going to be hearing this Romeo interview for, for a long, a long fucking time. So I hope you guys are, are ready for some Romeo. Uh, before I wrap up, I want to make sure, of course, that we, we shout out all the people that help us make this happen. Uh, we couldn't do it without all the people on, on the board, on the social media. Of course, thugsandharmony.com, uh, shanebookofthugs.com, loyalbonefans.com, my boy Bone Thugs NL, and on Facebook, I got to make sure, of course, that we're shouting out all the groups, the Beyond the Harmony Facebook group, you guys for helping us put together those questions. Uh, also, Bone Thug fans worldwide, that group, BTNH board, uh, you guys have all been awesome. You all helped make this happen, and I, I really enjoy what we are collectively doing uh, as fans, you know, to, to help push things forward now, you know, going on 25 years strong. So that was your Beyond the Harmony Bug Thursday. I am Cecil West. On behalf of John Lippy, this is Beyond the Harmony, beyondtheharmony.com, and I am out this motherfucker until next week. We'll see you guys then.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.